Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. And second hour, we want to spend a little bit more time on things. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about podcast recording. Um, you know, I'm working on this show with Michael Krasny called graymatter.show. And we'll talk a little bit about the workflow. I wouldn't say that it's a perfect workflow. It's just we're just going to talk about it. <laughs> so we'll discuss it, discuss what's working, what's not working. Um, uh, and uh, and then we'll talk about where we're going with it. We'll check. I thought checking in every three to six months might be good because it's constantly changing. So um, so anyway, so we'll have that. We'll have that discussion in the uh, in the second hour. Uh, if you have questions, go ahead and throw those into Makana. If you don't, if you're not in Makana, uh, you can still ask questions uh, using uh, the QR code right here. So this is askofficehours.com. Uh, global. That's askofficehours.global. You can go there and just ask the question any time of the day. Let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Bill, what do we have? First one comes from John Snyder in Reno, Nevada this morning. I run XLR out of my Flow 8 into my Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 6K, then into my A10 Mini. The first time I speak each day, though, my audio level spikes at the start of a sentence, causing major clipping. It happens on Mac and PC only through A10 audio. How would I troubleshoot that? Good, Courtney. Well, I'd first start looking to see if you've got some kind of auto level control at any of those interfaces, either compression turned on on the Flow 8 or auto level setting on the Blackmagic camera, if it has it. Um, make sure that you don't have an auto level control turned on somewhere that sounds like how it would grab the first sound and smoosh it down. And you may be going in too hot out of the Flow 8 into the Blackmagic. I'd check your levels with a tone coming out of the uh, Flow 8 and set the levels in the Blackmagic and then get your levels set correctly on the Flow 8 with the microphone coming in. You didn't say what kind of microphone you had either, so we're not sure whether that could be the source of the problem. But uh, if it's 48 volts, maybe the first time you send voltage down the line, it's spiking and setting the control voltage a little lower or something. That's the only thing I can figure out. I don't know how you'd... I'd start at the... Uh, Started the flow eight with a tone and then tone my way through in through the ATEM and see, uh, make sure all the levels are matched up and correct going through and then bring up your microphone level. Yeah, that really sounds like AGC, uh, auto gain control. So, I mean, that's that, that is a, um, and I would check in the camera. The camera may have an AGC setting in there somewhere. I, I don't know if a Blackmagic 6K has that. So, but, but it really sounds like auto gain control. So, next question. Next one comes to us from Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. Zoom is on TVOS now, but for uh, the Apple TV 4K upwards only. Can we ask Zoom why we can't get Zoom on old Apple TV models like my Apple TV 4 HD to use as video conduits for the gallery of a meeting and so forth with no mic or iPhone continuity requirements? Uh, go ahead, Tlaloc. Yeah, I think, you know, all companies sort of have to make a decision about what what products and what hardware they're um, they're gonna service? You know, there are certain things that don't work on on other things for reasons of um, operating system and handles that are given over. So um, I think that that's probably why. But uh, the best thing to do would be to send a support ticket over to Zoom and see what they see what they say about what they can do. Go, Bill. Yeah, I suspect it's processor capability. Uh, you know, obviously the Apple TV 4K is going to have a newer generation processor in it. 
And so uh, Zoom is pretty pretty focused on quality of imagery coming across. I know Apple TV people like their quality. So uh, my guess, and it's purely speculation on my part since I'm not a hardware engineer, my guess is that the chipset and the older ones, they're just not sure they can get the kind of quality they want. And we've all seen in Zoom meetings that sometimes the least common denominator quality pulls down the whole meeting and things like that. So I don't I, – I, that's my guesses. Yeah, the, I think that the, the assumption is is that if you if you're going to join Zoom, it part of Zoom. And as a result, uh, the expectation is you would need an Apple TV that is compatible with continuity camera. So if it's not, com if, I think that's the, that's the draw, the, where the line is drawn is if continuity camera works with the Apple TV, it's going to work with Zoom. If it doesn't work with Apple TV, it's not going to work with Zoom. It's not real. I don't think that they're looking at a, a viewer only experience uh, from, for Zoom to just watch a gallery. Um, it's probably not a super common use case for the for the TV. Um, next question. Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas. Resolution charts is his topic. Can they be a helpful tool in discovering where resolution is being lost in a video chain between source and delivery? And if so, any tips on how to best use them? I go ahead, Tlaloc. So as in all troubleshooting, um, the 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 way to figure stuff out is is only as good as as your understanding of the of the signal path. So if you're if you have a resolution chart and you're looking at the end point, you can understand how much resolution is getting to you, but you have to have a way to go to each point and figure out what that resolution is at the camera and then at the ingest and then at the you know uh, the transcode and so think linearly about your signal path and figure out where where that resolution drop might be happening. Yeah, and one of the I'm sorry, I'm trying to <laughs> trying to grab an image so that you can so that I can show it to you here, but there's a you know there are um resolution charts that that are um uh let's see here if I can pull this up. This is this is a typical one. This is kind of a and it'll tell you what it looks like and there's a bunch of things that are going on in these charts. So if you look at this chart here, this is a this is a kind of common resolution chart here. Um one of the things you'll see are, are a lot of trumpets and these trumpets basically what happens is they're clearly defined. We're not going to see that here in this in this image, but um, basically, I'll tell you what the resolution is where this starts to merge over top of each other. Um, and so, uh, so if they start to blur together, then you know that that you, you don't have that resolution. And if, if you can clearly see the difference between those lines, then you know that you have the resolution to 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 make that happen. Now you'll see some at an angle because that's measuring the the angular um, resolution. Sometimes that can be different. So a lot of things at angles will tend to alias. And so this will this will kind of show you um, a lot of those pieces. But this is one version of a of a resolution chart um, that's there that that a lot of people you know different people will use different types of these. But this is a common one. And again, these trumpets here, looking at the angles here, um, this is often used. You'll see that by itself as a focus chart. Um, so these are you know, and then a lot of these are telling you oftentimes what the resolution is. The the one that we've used a lot is also a um, you know we use the SRI the Sarnoff. Uh, charts and, and those are signals that go out at certain resolutions and they'll tell you not only the resolution but the bit depth um, whether what kind of HDR it is uh, whether it was compressed or not all those things and in some in some cases that visual these visual references are more accurate than any kind of measurement you could do because if you know what they are they're going to 
fail when they're when things aren't in the right place across the entire chain. So one of the big advantages is you can push this into the beginning of a chain and look at the other end of the chain and know if it doesn't work somewhere in there you can start to go back up and find out where what is lowering your resolution. Good, Courtney. Yeah, these days, it used to be in the analog worlds, you used to have to worry about this a lot more. That's why a lot of these resolution charts have those trumpets on them. Uh, for analog tube-type pickups these days, uh, we have discrete pickups in every camera and discrete pixels in every monitor. So if you match your resolutions exactly, you know, if it's your output, if you're, uh, you know, the scaling is going to go on in the camera because they've gone up to higher than the output resolution of the monitor. But the output of the camera is 1080p. Make sure your your monitor is exactly the same resolution and not scaling it 1080p at set at its optimal resolution. Same thing down the line. Set the monitoring at the uh, output resolution of the camera, and uh, then you can uh, make sure you know because if your your monitor is scaling, you're not going to know if that where that problem exists because it could be the scaler in the monitor. So make sure that your monitors are all set to the same resolution. And then you can um, see how bad the compression is affecting your resolution on the way down, especially if it's going out to multiple resolution streams like uh, YouTube and so on. But uh, uh, for processing your own signal and checking your own signal, just, just match the resolutions and check that way. Color something different, but as far as resolution chart goes, uh, matching should be the same as long as it's raw video going all the way through your chain and then being compressed and scaled elsewhere. What one of the things that we often see is if 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 the if the chip isn't really 1080p or if it's a smaller chip, sometimes there's scaling involved, and so the the camera is delivering 1080p, but it's not really capturing 1080p. And so those are the kind of things that we want to. That's what the chart is useful for. Is the not you know trust but verify. Next question. Next one comes to us from uh, Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. And Mike says, morning, everyone. On the topic of mobile streaming, what does the panel think of the recent release from YOLO Live, the YOLO Box Ultra? And he's going to it. Yeah, it, it looks really interesting. And if you have super mobile streaming needs, like, I don't know, you're, you're mountain biking down the side of a cliff and you want to stream that, this seems awesome. Otherwise, uh, as good as it may be, I just get super nervous about a single point of failure like this. If anything goes wrong with that one box by these guys, a software update, whatever it is, and your whole system goes kablooey. So that's the primary concern I would have with it. Yeah, the... Um... Everybody I've talked to has, you know, been excited about the feature set that YOLO boxes have and not as excited about the ongoing, you know, like how well they work in the field. So that's been generally the feedback I've had. I've not had the opportunity to work on it myself, so I don't want to give an opinion of my own. But but when I talk to people about it, they're like, oh, well, you know, like it, it lists what it can do. <laughs> so that it, it, it doing it um, has been a, a different problem. So I think that's the that's the thing. That's the uh, um uh, the the kind of the hill that they have to get over as they release new products. Now, next question. Alexander Knight in Port Coquitlam, BC, Canada. I'm thinking about ceiling mounting an overhead mic out of frame for another project. K&M has a ceiling mount product, but I want something with a jointed articulating arm. Suggestions? Good, Bill. 
Well, I do this in my voice booth. I had to, to think, and I kind of took a little thing. I'm, I'm going to question. I'm not saying no, but I'm going to question the articulating arm thing. Here's what I did. Um, this is a ceiling mount straight with a spud on the end. Uh, I have that bolted into the, the top of my ceiling. And then I just used a standard short boom arm and attached it to the bottom of there. It lets me get pretty much anywhere I need to in the confines of the voice booth. The reason I'm saying maybe yes, maybe you know to the articulating arm is genuinely generally articulating arms are designed to be desk mounted and the best of them have a control that lets you tighten or loosen the articulating um, uh, changes those little areas where the articulating arm has multiple places if you get one of those you're probably in good shape but I have found that the less expensive articulating arms can be tough when you turn them upside down because they don't really hold as tightly as you'd like. And if it has bad friction controls on those joints in the articulating arm, you might be fighting a lot of pushing it up and it wanting to drift down. I'd just be careful about what you order. But yeah, it, getting a mic stand off the floor and out of the way on a ceiling is generally a very good thing. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I have all my monitors excuse me, on these articulating arms. And there's two different types of arms. Let's take a look at them here. This is one that I'd probably recommend. And, and the other type is with a single knob that tightens multiple ball joints. You know, this, this has a rosette at the arm uh, junction here and then ball joints at either end and tightening this one knob here uh, is what controls, you know, one knob tightens both, uh, both joints. This one has uh, a separate, uh, sorry, separate uh, uh, tight tightening uh, at each ball joint, and this one, each one of these uh, uh, knobs tightens two ball joints, and and so each section of the arm is individually loosenable and tightenable. If you, if, if those are words, and I don't think they are. Uh, that way it lets you just change the angle of one of the arms without affecting the other two. And the problem is with multi-jointed arms and the single knob, it's nice because you just turn a single knob and it stays, but they're weaker. Like uh, Bill says, they don't tend to hold as well. And with the multi-jointed arms, you can set two angles and then just fine tune with the last one without affecting the other two. Uh, so it's a little bit easier, but uh, you could attach that. That uh, one that I pointed to has a adapter to go from a quarter inch to three eighths inch. If your shock mount for your microphone has a three eighths inch uh, screw on the end of it, uh, um, so you could use that. And they it has the magic clamp that could clamp onto a suspended ceiling or something, or a overhead uh, truss or a pole. Yeah, and I have a. Um... This is the one that I have here that I that I use occasionally, and so this is a that super that super clamp or super arm. What do they call it? Magic arm. Uh, the and then I have a mafer that's grabbing onto that, but you can do anything you want to attach it to there. And then this is stuck into that. You know, you can see that stuck into the mafer that loosens it. That's what Courtney was talking about. And then I have one more articulation, which is the um, you know this the the actual um, pistol grip. So that this pistol grip allows me to do the kind of the final. Um, you know, so I've got a couple different joints that I can kind of place it. And I have this one. It looks like it's in frame, but it's, as you can see, when I cut to me, it's just out of frame. <laughs> it's like right there. Like I, and I lower it down and make sure that it's just out of frame. And I use it occasionally when I don't want to have the mic in the, in the frame, but it doesn't sound as good as this mic. So, so it, it um, but it does do okay. I go ahead, Bill. 
So the other little factor I wanted to warn you about is bounciness. And that may not be like in Alex's circumstance, that's not in play at all because it's a fixed thing and he's going to sit in a fixed place. If you are going to try to push it up and down, you're going to stand part of the time and lower it part of the time. In those circumstances, um, the multiple joint articulated, I find to be a lot less stable uh, in terms of repositioning than something as simple as just a T kind of circumstance. So it depends on what you're going to do. I wouldn't put a camera on one of those kind of things, but a microphone out of reach and it's going to be in a fixed position. Perfect. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Tlaloc. I just wanted to add that you also really want to think about how you're mounting it to the ceiling um, and <clears throat> make sure that it's solid and secure and not going to fall off and hit everything on your desk during a show or even not during a show. Um, uh, one way would be a pigeon plate. I think that's what they're called, um, where you have uh, essentially a, a, a little peg that you can clamp onto um, and you can put all kinds of things on that um, uh, where it's often used for lighting uh, uh, and you can uh, uh, clamp down on that peg and then and then have a really good solid um, uh, connection point yeah the, um, uh, if you have those drop ceiling you can of course draw those in if you have a drop ceiling that scissor clip to a baby pin is a really useful uh, I used to have bags full of scissor clips and I, the first thing I do even now when I walk into a room is I usually look at the ceiling and see if it's a standard drop ceiling because um, I make a whole bunch of decisions about what's possible <laughs> when I see a drop ceiling of what I might be able to attach to it. Um, it's there. Drop ceilings are remarkably stable. Um, you know, so you can put, you know, uh, uh, definitely a mic on it. Um, I, I put whole four by four kinos on, on uh, drop ceilings. So uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Peter Morgan in Auckland, New Zealand. I first saw Kiss in 1977 as a 14-year-old at uh, VFL Park in suburban Melbourne, Australia. Kiss have avatared themselves here. Thoughts? Kiss are touring down under at the moment. He's got a link to the show. Yeah, I think that the the tour is still physical um, for the this last tour, I believe. But is, is it the avatar version right now? Go ahead, Courtney. I think they finished their last tour, and I don't think the Avatar tour has started yet. They've licensed, I understand, their images and have all been scanned uh, because, you know, when you get to be 72, it's hard to stay on top of those platform shoes, you know. So uh, I think it's a brilliant idea because you can still make just as much money as you did touring and sit at home in front of your TV and, you know, eat bonbons uh, while you're raking in all those... uh, digital bucks so from your avatar so i think it's fine as long as you can control the use of your avatar and you're the you know main recipient of its you of its uh you know money that it generates that's a brilliant idea i think uh, i'm all for it yeah they i I think that um, abba was the first one to really you know um put this out there and everything i've heard i think nigel's been to it and he said it was amazing i've talked to a couple other people that said that it's just a really, really amazing experience. And it's ABBA as if they were in the 70s. And they said, outside of a handful of experiences, you really feel like you're there. You know, like it's just like, and the fact that they're on an LED wall kind of drops away. So I think that ABBA is probably the, the ones that kind of push this forward. I mean, that process, if anyone has been to a large venue, there's no way, if, if we didn't tell you that and you didn't, and you only had one angle to look at, I'm sure, not sure you would know the difference uh, just because you're so far, for most people, they're so far away from, uh, from, that, from that monitor. And so um, there's a lot of opportunity here. And uh, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how they, how they use it and how other artists, you know, use this. I think that what people often miss when they think that these things won't work 
is that people are really there to do this with each other. You know, like like to go to a, you know, we talk about this a lot. Like if if you see a, you know, they want to go with a bunch of other fans and be able to sing those songs and be allowed to um, as much as anything else. And so I think that it'll be interesting to see how they, um, you know, how they get, how, how much the fans feel like they can interact with each other while watching. Um, I do think it might be, a you know, there, it'll be interesting to see how many people will go to a tour on this. You know, right now ABBA, sells out there's there's pretty effectively in london um but i don't i don't know how many, i think if they and they're gonna they're talking about moving it and i think that like the sphere if you move it to new york for three months you can probably sell out all the nights i don't know if you keep it there for years uh, go to courtney yeah, and if you're somebody like kiss who hasn't recorded a new album in many many years they're not writing new music so your fans aren't looking forward to hearing the new stuff and 90 percent of the people come to the concerts to hear the old stuff anyway you know, they can just make a living off their original recordings done 20, 25 years ago. And they can uh, they can hype it up to get the interaction a little going a little better. They can have an opening act that's live and then go to the, uh, you know, the headliner of KISS, who is uh, digital and virtual. And that way you get a lot of the get the crowd hyped up with the opening act. I don't know if they'll do that. Like, well, it'd be interesting to see. I don't know if they'd want to have the juxtaposition of the live versus the, I think that part of keeping it, feeling like you're there is to not not do that um but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they how they run with it go ahead chris i would love it if you could get somebody to admit to who is the biggest name most prominent you know public figure i realize it's not going to be like celine dion or something who had a stand-in at their show and nobody knew you know, like, like nobody knew, you know, there's a, there's a famous uh, big Millie YouTube fan. That, <laughs> yeah, well, they, they were actually, the stand-in. <laughs> I actually know the singers for that. Um, the, uh, there's a famous, uh, uh, thing in YouTube folklore during the, the zoo tour where, um, Adam Clayton, uh, partied way too hard the night before and his bass tech stood in from now most people probably don't know who adam clayton is if you're a youtube fan you do you're not going to recognize him on the street like you would recognize you know bono but it, it was a it was a filmed show like they were shooting it for their concert video and they just didn't shoot the bass player that night it just shot you know they rearranged the camera call list and didn't didn't shoot him but I'd love to know because because we're going that way, you know, with with voice stuff. And, you know, if you can put the actual artist on the iMag and a stand in on the stage and let them, you know, lip sync. And I mean, it's going to happen if it hasn't already. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how I mean, I think that we're artists are right now cashing in on tours because that's where they make money. Usually when you overdo something over time, I mean, we, we're seeing this with, uh, with, with um, you know, big effects-laden uh, movies that over time, if you overdo something, then people get tired of it. <laughs> and, they, and, they, you know, and, and so you, 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 everyone's cashing in on this right now. I'm not sure if you, they can keep on cashing in on, on this market. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. 
Well, I think this has been happening for a long time. I remember, you know, the old show must go on thing. I was at a concert with a famous duo once upon a time, and it was very keyboard, and one of the two people in the duo played the keyboards. And I happened to be at an angle where there was a little opening in the black drape behind them. And with my binoculars that I had brought along, I was looking through there, and I saw <laughs> there was somebody behind this, the curtain playing keyboards. And as I watched very closely, I realized that he was playing the parts that we thought the person on stage was playing. Now, he could have just sprained his wrist. But, you know, you sold a gazillion tickets in a coliseum. You're not going to not do the show because somebody has a has a sprained wrist. You're going to find a keyboard player, put them behind the black thing, give the people the show experience they want, even though that guy is not actually playing for that period of time. I just think that this happens a lot more than you think because there's so much money on these big tours that they're not going to let anything stop them from getting the, the show must go on. I do think it's going to be interesting to see also when you talk about the KISS avatars and the ABBA avatars, like what happens with the Vision Pro at some point where people can, you can go to a concert and sit there right in front of you and there's avatars that look totally real that are very 3D because you have them in 3D space. It's going to be interesting. Go to Courtney. Yeah, a lot of people, this isn't necessarily a new concept. You remember, the, if you were around in 1968, the Archies had a hit single. And uh, when they would have to go on live shows, you know, they'd have these countdown shows of, you know, this week's Billboard Top 10. And the Archies were number one for a long time. Uh, and they didn't know, nobody knew who they were. <laughs> they were animated characters. Uh, so, you know, it it has been done before. <laughs> They yeah, had the to present the same animated characters singing yeah. their song. You have the gorillas. I mean, and, and only until I think recently, I mean, Dead Mouse was almost, I think, always on a with a with a head with a <laughs> with a big head on. So, so those are. I think he he shows himself now in some of his stuff, but I don't think he did in the early days. Um, next question. Andre Dole in Berlin. Coming from an Android, I'm missing the manual white balance on the iPhone's camera app, especially for iPhotos or for photos. Where does it hide? I go ahead, Jeff. And maybe Bill knows the setting that I don't, but as far as I know, the native camera app does not have that setting while you're taking pictures. Now, what they've added is you can, of course, go in and adjust it, and then you can actually copy those edits and to one, for example, and then apply that to the next hundred pictures you've taken in that same setting and, and get that white balance. But... This is really the fundamental difference between Apple and, in this case, Android, which is they, they want to keep it simple. That's the native app. So the native app for folks that just want to take a picture and don't even know what you're talking about in this question, uh, it works really great. It's simple. There's a couple controls, turn on the flash, things like that. They expose that much more prominently, and you can do it after and post. But then there's also a world of way more sophisticated apps, like we're going to talk about, I mean, the opposite end of the spectrum, which is the Blackmagic camera app that gives you all the stuff. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I just think the new world we're moving into of computational photography is changing everything. It used to be that, you know, manually we had to white balance everything and we would find I found myself in circumstances a ton in my early career where I had a mixed light situation where there was one color temperature on most of the stage. But somebody in the back had had, um, you know, kicked on a giant um 
3200 Kelvin light and I had a really orange or yellowy orange glow on one side of people, I couldn't fix that. Now, this computational photography is so sophisticated that on an iPhone, if you point it at that same scene, it seems to understand and fix the problem so you get an even exposure and an even white balance across even a complex scene. Sometimes. You start with yeah, – well, most of the time. I, I, Sometimes. I've still I, – I can't tell you the last time I, I yeah. threw a photo that I took on my iPhone away because I thought the, the white balance was so bad I couldn't use it. Uh, so – yeah. You, at least you start with a generally even thing, and then you're supposed to process it afterwards. So I yeah. just think that's going away. It's it's not all circumstances, and I appreciate the people with the skill set being able to color match and things like that. But it's gotten a lot better. You go ahead, Chris. I was uh, watching YouTube yesterday, and a, a video came up. I can't remember what I can't remember what it was about, but I just I hovered over the the icon long enough to watch a little bit of it. And I, I, without sounding ageist, he was a gentleman of a certain age. And and the video footage was clearly shot with an in, at incandescent color temperature. And it was an outdoor shot, like in the evening. And it was the whole thing had that blue haze over it. And I remember thinking, what camera are you actually using that could still screw something up that bad? And it was, he was just putting it on YouTube like, hey, check me out. I made a video. I'm, I'm almost as good as Casey Neistat. Yeah. It, it, um, the, the iPhone, the, the Photos app is something that you can, you, you pick up and you take pictures of. It's not designed to give you a lot of control. In fact, if anything, I would say that gives you more control than you should have. Um, there's other, there's other apps. Like Halide for uh, taking images and the Black Magic camera for taking videos. If you care about those things, you'll down you'll download another app. You know the, the Black Magic one's free. The Halide has some amount of mo- some small amount of money that it costs. But the the i the Apple phone is really designed for you to open up and use. You know, like and not really think about what those things are. And it does the best it can. It doesn't always get it right, but it gets it right probably more often than giving people manual controls. Um, and so I think that those are the that's kind of the the, the process there. You know, the, the thing, the fundamental thing that we kind of talked about previously is that the assumption is that most Apple users just want it to work. And most Android users tend to want to fiddle with it a little bit more. They tend to be, Android users tend to be geekier than, than, than iPhone users. They're not, like, we don't want all the, we don't want all the little dials. We just want to turn it on and just have it do, do the thing it was supposed to do. And so that's the, you know, I think, I think that that's the, but that's two very different um, design targets. Um, for those, you know, for those models. And I think you see that you'll, as an Android user going to an iPhone, you'll see that everywhere. Like that, the, the, the Android will give you a bunch of options and the iPhone will be just like, here's, here's how 90% of the people use it. And, and all you gotta do is turn it on and it'll work. And, and I think that that's a, that's both a great thing and a limitation, <laughs> you know, like that, that Apple has with it. And sometimes you have to, there's definitely times when I go, they turned this off. Like I can't do the thing. And I, and I get frustrated and then I'm just like, okay, and you know, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, and, and I will also argue that, I mean, I would like to think I'm as geeky as they come, and and I do that stuff on my computer for the things I need to, and and I don't want to do be a sysadmin for a for my phone, which is what I like. Well, but I think about, but I think that's the, that's the point is that like some people really do, and and they and again I yes. I think that people I think people who use Android are far more technical than most people that use i i, I iPhones because uh, they. Absolutely. They, they yeah. want and then the other thing I'll add, and we're just like, uh, okay. The other thing I'll add, and, and this is why, like Alex always says, live is hard. 
unless you're doing live, like live streaming video, and you really need to set the white balance or any other setting for that picture, I would far rather, just like recording audio, I would far rather just capture whatever the sensor is seeing so that I have that in its purest form rather than baking it into the photo, and then I'll do whatever I want with it in post. Yeah, it's just hard to do with the iPhone because it will it is a compressed format, and it is, you, you are throwing data away. So it being somewhere in the vicinity makes a difference, you know, in that process. But I will say that the more I fiddle, if I try to fiddle with settings on iPhones, I usually end up with bad video and bad audio. Um, if I want to fiddle with something, I'm going to open up a different app like the Blackmagic uh, camera, like for video, which we'll talk about next tomorrow. But it's... Um, I don't shoot any video that I care about. I shoot lots of video with my iPhone app, but I don't shoot any video that I care about on my iPhone app. Um, yeah, next question. Chris Fenwick's up next uh, here on the paddle on Half Moon Bay in California. I heard through the grapevine that Alex has got his USB issue. We discussed last week sorted out. Would he mind elaborating? Yep. So um, my two front USB connections on my studio just stopped working. I don't know exactly. There was an update, but I also plugged in some new hard drives. It could have been those, but I went from one to the next and neither one worked. Um, and then I went to the back and all the all the uh, uh, Thunderbolts worked fine. <laughs> they, they were just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And the problem is I don't have, a, I don't have, a, I, I, I use all of those Thunderbolts for monitors mostly um, and, and the connection to my, um, to my mini. And, and so the, and the front ones were working in the sense that they, my mix pre is plugged into the front. It was just fine. Um, and so, so I was trying to figure out what was going on in the front and, um, it turns out it's not a uncommon problem. Like it's, it's just some kind of weird quirky thing. And so there were a couple of places just said, um, restart your computer into a recovery mode, you know, and, and then restart it again. Sure enough, that's all it took. Like, I have no idea. Like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do any. I didn't hold anything down. But I, re I restarted in recovery mode, and then shut it down, turned it back on. Everything was fine. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what it's doing inside of there. It, my guess is is that it's somehow like uh, it's zapping the PRAM on the way through, or doing something. You know, so it's it, as it goes into recovery, it's it's just pushing a bunch of little things uh, through it. It is now thrown an error when I started that there's some extensions it doesn't like, but it won't tell me which ones. And so I'm trying to figure that out now. Everything's working, but now it complains every time it restarts. And so that's a new new problem, but it, it definitely like closed off some gaps and restarted some for, you know, like restarted the PR, you know, the, the, you know, the, the PRAM and probably knocked some preferences out or something like that. But it seems to be at least the front ports work. Um, yeah, go ahead, Chris. I mean, I'm glad you. I'm glad you fired up the Google and figured it out. Is is that what you ended up? You know, doing? it's Just, not what you know. It's how well you Google. <laughs> so, right. so anyway, so yeah. So. But but I gotta I gotta say, when you were saying that, I'm like, what are you talking about? That sounds like madness. You're clearly you're doing something wrong. I was I was a total skeptic. And, well, I there was another. The worst part it's it's on the Apple. It's it's on the Apple discussions, and it is an Apple like response. Like this is how you fix that. Yeah, and I think that same day somebody was complaining that their USB drives weren't weren't or the A one USB drive wasn't mounting or so I can't remember, but yeah. it's it's an interesting testament to the fact that sometimes when you hear and I'm taking the blame for this, sometimes you hear stuff and you hear somebody complaining about something and you just go, Yeah, you're crazy. Yeah, that can't be. And I, I, I totally thought it's like, what are you, what are you smoking over there? <laughs> the response, Lindsay? the response when I was, I was, um, the response from one of the folks who trained trained me in a lot of things uh, was sounds like a personal problem. 
<laughs> exactly right. <laughs> that, that was usually so, like you complain other sounds like a personal problem. So and, and, and when you because you texted me, I think later that day or the next day, and I'm like, oh wow, he really did have a genuine, yeah. <laughs> legit problem. Okay, good for you. Glad your Google worked. Good, Bill. I, the minute you said you uh, rebooted in, in uh, the other mode and then came back, it, I said parameter RAM. Yeah. And I didn't know that even existed. And somewhere in the middle of my career, maybe five or six years ago, I was on with an, I mean, probably longer than that. I was on with an Apple genius because I had a little problem. And he goes, so how long since you've completely restarted your computer? I said about three and a half years. Yeah. So, I'm well, surprised anything's still working. <laughs> you can actually flush it. I, I don't even know if it if the PRM zap. I think so. What you do is you hold down Command and Option, I believe, and and the PR buttons. Right. For and you, when you hit res, respond, when you hit now, I hold down everything. I hold down like Command Option, Control Shift because I can't remember which ones they are, and then I hold down the PR. Oh, that's it still works. The, actually, that's, that's the keyboard different. shortcut to to disable the front ports. Maybe that's what the problem is. <laughs> I didn't do it before that. So anyway, so the um, but you'll hear it and it goes dong, 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 and you let it. You do it like three times and it will. But is that is that legitimately I don't know. I haven't done it recently. Thing, no, no, I didn't know. I didn't think it was still a thing on, on the new M ones. And so the PRAM holds, you know, a lot of these initial parameters. And the way you when you zapped it, zapped the PRAM. I've never had zapping the PRAM do anything other than make the computer work better. So so when that's in right. doubt, when in doubt, I I would just like I don't know if this is it or not, but I'd zap the PRAM. And I didn't do it this time, which I probably should have before I, I think before I Google. I think that stuff is built into the Unix <laughs> reboot now. I don't I know. Call it, I mean, can can we it, check the? No, can we check you've been able to zap the PRAM up until the last three or four years because I, I definitely did in Intel. I used to do it. I just didn't think it worked in M ones. Oh, but the, I used to do it so often. I like, nearly it's like, built. It's, it's casting the Mac spell. It's it's like a, it's like a Mac spell that you just cast. I was going like, to build a piece. It is. And there's a hand position on your keyboard. You know, like you know, like this will make this go away. I was going anyway. to build a piece of wood that held down all the appropriate buttons and just laid on my keyboard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, Macosius Fixioso. You know, like, you know, so anyway. Um, uh, next, next question. Parameter Ramo Replaceo. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Zach Jeffries is up next from Spokane, Washington. Oh, wait a second. Uh, no, it's Tlaloc. Tlaloc yeah. Lopez Waterman, Huntington, uh, West Virginia. Is there a recommended RAM mount compatible with a magnetic charging mount? <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. So Tlaloc, um, you're talking about like the RAM. You muted yourself there, Chris. Well, when we were seeing both his hands, I wonder how he got muted. Yeah, so uh, Tlaloc, <laughs> you're talking about this stuff like for your car? <clears throat> A RAM mounts for the car um, that I really quite like their system, but um, I can't find a charger. I don't. I don't like the system that holds the phone. I I hate it actually. Oh, yeah, so I, you don't like this one because that's what I was going to recommend. RAM mounts has magnetic, waterproof yeah, wireless incredible. charging holders with chargers, but they're. Well, that's so, what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So RAM has but, them on their site. You don't want a clampy one. You just want a magnetic one. Yeah. Um, um, I didn't exactly know that right. you were. You were already married to RAM mount. There's another one called Bullet Point System or Bullet Point, whatever. It's a slightly different, um, it's a slightly smaller uh, ball mount. Um, and I have, and I just want to say, and I'm going to say it out loud because it's, it, uh, I didn't hear it enough. <clears throat> I literally thought MagSafe was just a charging thing. The whole ma magnetic charging thing. I, up until uh, earlier this year, d 
didn't realize you could also just use it as a mount. And I ended up putting one of the bullet point magnetic mounts in the truck and it absolutely changed my life. It is the greatest invention of all time ever, maybe, except for like a locking carabiner. But the fact that you can grab the thing, boom, turn it 90 degrees and click it back on. When I was driving through the Rockies, I was literally taking both hands off the wheel, undoing my mount and turning it 90 degrees. Uh, you know, I had to loosen something. But the, I'm, I want to just say that I, I had to drive an Uber, uh, not drive an Uber, but ride in an Uber the other day. And the young woman, she goes, oh, yeah, I just started. <laughs> she was like totally wide eyed. And she had her phone in her lap, her little her Uber phone. And I just, I sat there, shook my head. I said, so how long have you been doing this? She goes, oh, like a month. And I said, look, I'm going to tip you, but I'm, I don't want to tip you. I'm going to just give you cash. This is why you have to carry cash, people. And I gave her $60 for a $12 ride. And I said, go buy yourself a phone mount. You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> but but those magnetic mounts are game changing. And I, even if it doesn't charge. Good, Bill. Well, I was just going to say for for Tlaloc, their RAM itself has a series of magnetic mounts. Now, whether or not you like this form factor or whatever, but these do charge while you're uh, while you're driving or whatever. So, if you like to stick with RAM, they do have solutions. And the you know the system that I use, um, uh, Hosma got me hooked on Peak Design. So this is the Peak Design case here. This has this is my wallet goes on there it snaps on snaps on the same thing happens when i snap it onto a little there's a little holder and i was trying to i love google anyway um i couldn't get the, the image to come out correctly but if you look at it here and i think it'll work with anything i mean i i've not had the case and i've literally just used the put the phone the phone will just stick to it so if you have anything that that is designed around that this is the Sorry, I'd have the, the search here, but I was having trouble getting the image out. But this little, just this, this, this just snaps on. And they have a version of this that ties, let's see. You'll see this one, this one hooks into your AC unit. So that, and it works on mine. I don't know. It, it has a little hook and then has a little piece and then you tighten it and it will, it'll stick to it. It becomes kind of part of the car at that point. And um, so I just put it on a, and I carry it around. If I rent a car, I just, I can attach it to any of those cars. I've, I've, been, I've not had any trouble with it moving around. And so it doesn't, it's not a permanent thing. I don't have to worry about it being on the windshield and it, and it just sits in one of the AC outputs um, and it snaps on really nicely. And if you have uh, a USB-C um, connection, it comes with it, uh, the ability to charge it. So it will charge when you're connected to the car. Um, and uh, it's a, you know, so it's USB-C to uh, your, your 12 volt. So that works out well for me. Uh, go ahead, Tlaloc. Uh, thank you. These are all really good uh, suggestions that I just, I just, the, there's like a universal RAM mount that squeezes in on the phone and it, yeah. it doesn't work very well. All the little yeah. rubber feet fall off all the time. Yeah. I, so I love it. I just snap yeah. mine on. All yeah, the time. that's great. So I yeah. want to do something like that. The other question I have it, it real quick is, is it, is it iPhone 11 or 12 that actually has the full MagSafe drop in i think i have to have a case to lock it in because i have an 11 but um i'm just wondering it has the full oh i don't know i think it's 12 so when did the actual magnet started yeah. is that what you're saying yeah yeah so i will say um my phone i have a 14 and i'm not advocating spending all the money for it but um 
but the 15 is pretty cool. Uh, my case, I'm trying to get it out, is translucent, and it's half as much as any iPhone case you can buy at the Apple store. Um, and I think, I think the artwork is aids in the mag magnetism, but um, well, the, yeah, the peak design definitely does like it sticks way better with my peak design than it does with my, this was a $19 case. Okay. Well, the peak design one does a lot of other the ones in the Apple store also have that circle. I think that circle mm -hmm. is to definitely... center them. Yeah, but it also but it also definitely makes it stickier. It's a hundred percent. It those things snap on a lot harder. Next question. Next one comes to us from Zach Jeffries in Spokane, Washington. Like Alex mentioned this last weekend on Office Hours, I frequently run out of Thunderbolt ports. I've solved this with the newer CalDigit Thunderbolt Hub, perfect for the studio, and he's got a link there. Yeah, I I um I had some CalDigits earlier and I had trouble with them and so I stopped using them. I, it, the, the new one maybe worked, you're the one that's, that you use probably works fine, but I had enough trouble with two different CalDigits that I stopped using them. I, used, I just kind of switched over to OWC and haven't really looked back. But I, um, so I have those hubs. I'm a little, the problem that I have with ports is that I'm a little um, superstitious about what I plug into the, what I use as a breakout and what I use directly. So my video and my audio always go directly into my computer because I've had trouble with that in the past. Um, and uh, my monitors go straight into the computer. But when you have a bunch of monitors and a bunch of computers, you run out of things to hook it into. But I do have one more port that I'm splitting out. Yeah. Next question. Next one comes to us from Jay Rob in Sarasota, Florida. I never really liked my old Mackie mixer. I do like my new Rodecaster Pro. What has the panel's experience been with these brands, and what does it mean that Rode has now acquired Mackie? Go, Jeff. Uh, that that specific question was discussed yesterday, so maybe it went, instead of we don't repeat. ever refer to the past. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just a new question. So you just, just question answer the question as if it was new. Yep, a new topic. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I will argue that it the history almost doesn't matter because these things are changing so rapidly right now that what a company may have done in their analog days and everything else doesn't always translate to what they're going to do with all of the digital stuff as it's and then their functionality and companies are changing the way they do their functionality so i would look at current models of whatever mm -hmm. it is as a guide to the functionality. And, and Rode has demonstrated that they have a great understanding of what consumers need at different segments. Uh, I mean, I keep switching now between my far more expensive mic and this Rode mic because I like the sound from it also. And and this isn't the newer one with, with all the USB features. So I think it's a good thing uh, for, for Mackie because... Road, like in the Roadcaster Pro, has demonstrated a really good understanding of what the mm -hmm. current crop of users want from their equipment. Go ahead, Courtney. I used the Mackie uh, mixers for years. Never really liked the their quality of their sound that much, but the 1604, anybody who's an editor knows those, had them sitting on a desk in almost every edit suite uh, because they had a lot of aux outs that could be mixed together, but they were all analog mixers, and a Rode has mainly been delved into uh, digital mixers where they're much more flexible. 
they uh, have a lot more. You know, you can run plugins in them. They bought uh, Aphex so that they can build in compressors and a lot of stuff that you can't get in an analog board easily. Uh, so they bought Mackie. I guess they want to try and just absorb some of that analog world into the digital world and move the old Mackie users into the road road user spectrum. I don't think they're going to continue the old mackie mixing stuff very much unless they want to just an entry level uh entry level uh, mixer that you can get for relatively cheap but i think behringer kind of take has taken over that whole market uh with the cheap mixers analog mixers you go ahead, bill real quick greg mackie and his wife i think b- built a great company from nothing uh sold it off eventually moved offshore to for their processing and now have sold it off at the end of their careers they've got to be but you know both up there because i think i was young when they started so uh congratulations to them and uh, hopefully the lame rely uh, goes a long way because you're right everybody had 1604s for a long time i think there's some build quality stuff that can come from mackie um that that could help road and road has a lot of electronics that'll help what mackie does uh next question Tyler Roberts in Chambersburg is up next. Looking for a way to capture an RTMP stream from a drone to use in live streaming. Is there stream mixing software that does it easily? Yeah, yeah a lot of them will, actually. So Mimo Live, VMix, um, uh, Wirecast will all receive. I believe Wirecast, but I know that Mimo Live and VMix will both, and I, I believe OBS will, both, will all receive an RTMP feed. Um, and then and those will be coming in as a source. So you can you can definitely stream to your software. Uh, if you're looking for hardware, there are some decoders. I don't I don't have them off the top of my head. Um, we've streamed them to our elementals and just streamed an RTMP input and then used that as, but it's a straight stream. The question is, are you trying to cut it into something? And so remember, there will be some delay there, um, but uh, probably only a couple seconds. Next question. Claude Lopez Waterman here on the panel, Huntington, West Virginia today. Alex, your pick of the week yesterday seems like something that could really help my projection design work. Can you show, can you slow clips way down without them getting jerky? And what's the name of it again? It's super interesting. Yeah, it's Topaz uh, Video AI. Um, This is what I uh, chose on MacBreak and I was using it last week. And it um, I'm I'm going almost 3x down as far as the number of frames. And so uh, it's from 24 frames a second to 60 uh, for the stuff that I'm working on. And um, remarkable. It's just remarkable. Like, I, you know, it takes a long time to process. You know, as I, as I said, it's it's about, it generates about one, uh, um, about 0.7 on my Mac Studio Max with nothing else going on. It's 0.7 uh, frames a second. <laughs> so it's, so it is a very, you know, it's, but it's, analyzing the frame and building all these frames in between and there are a couple things where i saw textures kind of ride a little bit you don't see it in real time but if you go frame by frame like on a on a sleeve moving towards the camera where it doesn't have a lot of information it just looked like it just kind of rode along a little bit it just didn't get that quite right it's the only place i saw real you know it, it doesn't like a lot of heavy grain grain is really hard to add more frames to so having a clean image makes a difference um, so I had, we had a little trouble with that as well. So that depends. And then you want to give it as much resolution as possible. So the 4k solution worked way better than the 1080p solution. I was trying to save time. So I was like, what if I just make this 1080p? Cause that's what I'm going to use first. And I got a much lower quality solution because it was, because it had less, it was much, it was four times faster and one fourth quality, not maybe one fourth the quality, but half the quality. Next question. Brian S. in Bray, California. Can a pacemaker cause interference with a wireless mic transmitter? Go ahead, Courtney. 
A more important question to ask is, can your wireless transmitter create a problem with a pacemaker? This is why you never use a wireless mic on the person with a pacemaker. I learned this when I worked with Ansel Adams many years ago at a pacemaker, and I could not use a wireless mic on it. Because if that wireless mic can induce currents, uh, the pacemaker works at very low currents to stimulate the heart. And if your wireless mic transmitter interferes with the signals coming out of that pacemaker, because it's monitoring the heart too, uh, it could kill the person. So I thought you were say, I, I, I that's a lot worse answer. than audio interference on your wireless mic. So never use, <laughs> never use. I thought you were going to say, I, I found this out with Ansel Adams. That was his last interview. That's, you know, that was like, you know. Last <laughs> I think it was his last interview, but I did not use a wireless <laughs> mic. I used a Sennheiser 816. Oof. Oh, man. No, that went dark really fast. All right. <laughs> I've been oh. around wireless mics for 40 years. Why did, why did we not know this? I could have put a wireless mic on any number of people. Is that something that they Well, now we all know. Now we all people? know, Chris. No yes, the uh, pacemaker people tell you don't put any wireless trans don't put any wireless transmitters near them. Maybe they're more immune to it nowadays. There are she they are shielded, but you know, the they have electrodes that go into the heart to monitor <laughs> That's a terrifying story. <laughs> I can't believe you've met Ansel Adams. I mean, come on. <laughs> like enough about the face There's so many things to take away from that, from that answer. All right. All right. Next question. Uh, this is the electronic shutter on your box camera. Anyway, uh, Steve, you're off Madison, Wisconsin. And both of my tests of the Zoom client for Apple TV, it didn't mute my mic when not talking. All of the participants reported a strong echo of their own outbound audio. Have others had the same experience? With it Apple TV? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think a lot of us have... I, I found it interesting that they're doing it. It makes sense, but I I, uh, I have to admit that I haven't uh, had any, haven't thought about using my Apple TV as a as a Zoom interface. So, uh, in fact, I forgot after they announced it that it even did that until today when we've gotten a couple questions. So we'll I'll try to research it. I'll I'll try to get an Apple TV and we'll try to test it. Next question. The only time I could test it is when I'm on the show and I'm not watching Apple TV. Yeah, exactly. Weird. Uh, next question comes to us from Peter Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. YouTube continues to update the TVOS YouTube app with new features. It is such a joy to use now, but really a hidden gem, in my opinion, uh, with regard to features they've added. I give positive feedback and the rare bug reports when I see them. Any thoughts on it? Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, I bailed out on YouTube apps uh, a couple of years ago when I found this one, which is uh, SmartTube Next. It gives you all of your YouTube. It get you can enter your uh, enter your account. It'll have all your YouTube streams, what you watched, your history, and everything, and no commercials. And you don't pay anything for it. It's free. Uh, the problem with it is, if you're living in the Apple world, you're out of luck because it only works on uh, two things, which is Android TVs and um, Fire Sticks. And so what I've done is I put Fire Sticks on all my TVs, which are, you can get for a Fire Stick 4K for around. Uh, 30 bucks when they're on sale, load SmartTube next on it. No commercials. It has a great user interface. Uh, they update it two or three times a week. So it is always kept up to date uh, and it updates itself. So. And now that we've shown it on the show, it'll work for the, at least the next month. <laughs> so anyway, It has so. worked continuously good for at least three years now yeah. and I don't have any problems with it. Yeah, I I, yeah, I, just, I love the YouTube TV, TV app. I spend a lot of time on it. Next question. 
Next one comes to us from Jesse Kester in Glendale, California. We're moving towards uh, network-attached storage in 2024, but we've never built a NAS setup. What's the shopping list? We want a high ceiling on storage, 4 times 14 terabytes to start, with room to grow, so we need to be conservative with the drive enclosure. I mean, I, I think that I would be looking at OWC makes some of these as well as Synology. Um, I think that as you go to a larger number of drives, I'd probably look pretty hard, hard at the Synology NAS um, solutions that they have there. Um, but OWC also has a lot of great ones there. And those are the ones that I have the most experience with. Uh, Pegasus is another one that I've had where I've, you know, we've built some drives up for it. Um, but it depends on exactly, you know, how many, uh, you're talking about 14 terabytes is not a very large drive. So I would really think about Today, you know, I wouldn't build anything smaller than 24, um, and I would probably look at more like a 36, you know, because they're just not that expensive to build anymore. You know, the 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 if you're if you're if you're doing spinning drives, uh, you can do you should be able to do 16 terabytes with NVMEs with the OWC the little, that Chris and I use the little the little box. You can put four terabyte. Um, those are a little expensive. Um, but but you can you can get that done. So those are that would be really fast. You know, like it's a super fast. Um, uh, that, but that's 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 direct attached. It's not network. But I would I would look at a probably an eight bay. If I was me, I'd probably look at an eight bay. Um, Synology is where I just start um, rather than starting small because it's such a pain to move things. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I've been very over the years been very protective of that little uh, uh, NVMe drive that that you've just mentioned. And I had to hand it off to one. Well, <laughs> you, you spend more money than I do. I, yeah. I, I had to hand it off to somebody because it had a big project on it. And I'm trying to parlay that into an excuse to buy another one with much bigger drives in that, it. That's what we did. We, we, I borrowed one and then they bought another one. Uh, next, next question. Alexander Knightport, Coquitlam, BC, Canada. I'm looking for a four-point USB KVM by Cable Matters that seems to be good quality. But I actually need a six-port USB KVM. Anyone have any recommendations? I don't need video switching. It must have buttons for each input to switch quickly. Yeah, that's the one that I have right now. Um, pluses and minuses of it. It's a T-Tech. Um, it cost me about 130 bucks. It's eight port. If you, if you think you need six ports, you need eight ports. Um, and so it's an eight port. Um, uh, it, it has buttons on the front. Um, it's called a KVM switch eight port. It's got RS-232 on the back, which I haven't taken advantage of yet, but I'm planning to, um, so that you can programmatically move it around. The only thing is, is that it will not, um, it will not, has a, a beep that it goes off when you change it, and it, there's no way to turn that beep off without opening opening up the casing and ripping the beep out, <laughs> which is what I did. I just grabbed, I was like, I just listened. I just literally just pushed the buttons until I could hear where it was coming from. It was like this little, this little uh, PZO and I just ripped the PZO off and I was like, well, let's see how this works. And it's much quieter now. So um, anyway, that, that <laughs> didn't short out or anything else. And so that, th that along with it, it's $130. Otherwise it works great. And um, I, I use it every day. Uh, next question. Here's one from Tlaloc on the panel today and from Huntington, West Virginia. When we lost Filmic Pro, will we lose videos recorded with it? I seem to remember that it stores records internal to the app. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, the records, I assume you're talking about. And you should assume that that's the case and and get anything in the app out of there. And, and I don't like, in general, leaving uh, recordings or, or any data purely in any app, even if I have no indication that they're going away because any number of things can happen. So it's great to capture, but I like to 
get it out as quickly as possible. And certainly in this scenario, I would. Well, and I don't know if we've, I don't think they've closed Filmic. I think that they're just, just as an aside, people are, what we're talking about is they laid off the entire Filmic crew. Um, yeah. You know, but they haven't closed it. I, I'd be surprised. They, the, the thing is, is now it just makes money. So here's, here's, here's the thing is that um, now it's just printing money for this company for until, until people stop using it. So, um, you know, it's, it's an app that probably doesn't record, have a lot of um, tech support um, and there's no team there. But, of course, the internal team can probably answer your questions um, and they still, there's still subscription revenue. This is the advantage of subscription revenue is that, you know, they're probably getting thousands of dollars, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars a month that, that will peter off as people figure it out. But they're not going to, there's a lot, we, we see the news. There's a lot of people that don't see the news that will be still using Filmic for the next six months. And so there's, there's probably uh, a relatively, 22 people is a lot, just so you, like 22 people is a lot of, uh, payroll. So it's, you know, it's, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a quarter million dollars a month, you know, like, and so, so that's, you know, so it's, um, so t- turning that off probably is um, something that's going to generate some revenue. Uh, quick reminder, we're going to be talking about the um, uh, recording a podcast. I'm just going to give you a little background of how I do it. I'm, and be, I'm open to suggestions because we're still working on it, but we'll be talking about that in the second hour. Um, uh, quick reminder, tomorrow we'll be talking about the Blackmagic camera app. We've all had time to work on it a little bit. We talked about it before, um, but we hadn't really dug into it. So we're going to talk about it um, a little bit with, with a little more experience. So we're going to be doing that uh, tomorrow. And we're going to talk about streaming to multiple locations. If you need to get to multiple locations, um, we're going to talk about that on Friday. Saturday, of course, is the weekend Q&A, as well as Sunday is introspection. And Sunday is really the place you can ask questions about things, about why are we doing this thing? Also, our own Flalock Water, um, uh, Lopez Waterman is going to be on Tony Mobley's show today at five. Is that right? Five o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time, eight o'clock. Um, so, so stay tuned for that. And now we're going to jump into the second hour. Welcome back. And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the, the, the process that we're using right now for, um, and, and, and this is for the graymatter.show, which is a show that we do with Michael Krasny. Michael Krasny spent 28 years interviewing people for KQED, which is the, the NPR affiliate here. And um, when, he, uh, when he stopped doing that, of course, I reached out to him. I was like, hey, come on, come on our show. And so we met him there and then decided to do a podcast with him. And, you know, one of the big things that, you know, is great is that his Rolodex is very deep, but he's very good at what he does. <laughs> so, uh, you, know, uh, you know, being able to interview people, we're actually interviewing Jason Snell uh, this Friday. And, um, you know, we've gone through a lot of iterations on how we actually record the show. Um, and I thought that I would talk a little bit about that um, as we kind of move down the path. And, and I realized I had closed my, my little thing here. So it'll take me just a second to get this back up again. Um, but, um, you know, one of the challenges that we have with what we're doing is that it's not exactly a, um, you know, we're not, if recording podcasts in my opinion, is actually relatively easy. Uh, so it's not a, not super hard to record podcasts. The, the hard part is really uh, recording a podcast and streaming it live at the same time. Um, you know, that that has turned out to be kind of the, the thing that is much more challenging for us as far as, you know, figuring out, um, you know, how to build a live pipeline that we can also, you know, record what we're doing. And so um, now we, we kind of had that uh, situated. Um, let's see if I can pull this up here. So, like, this is uh, what it had kind of become uh, as we, uh, let's see if I can grab this here, hold on. 
this is what happens when you have lots of monitors, you're kind of wandering around. And um, so when we did it in our office, in the, in the 090 office we hear, we, um, this is what we kind of were working with here. So this, this was the hardware. So, um, so there's a couple things that were going on here, um, just to kind of give you a, a sense of what this record looked like. So um, we have uh, X32 here. Um, and so that's where a lot of our audio went in and out. Um, you know, of course, we had a switcher so that we could do the switching. We have the controller over here. That's this controller is controlling that X32. Um, we've got a, this is actually where we embed the audio, this little PIX240, so that we knew we could see the levels that were going out to it. Um, this went into a, this is a little AWS encoder. Um, and then over here was where I sat. And here I could switch between um, the YouTube output as well as the imp, the, the raw output um, that, that went out just so I could check what was going on there. And we had scopes over here and then we recorded. So we really kind of built this into a bit of a, I mean, it turned into a lot, you know, and and a lot of that is, you know, then we're using Zoom ISO, of course, to um, output the uh, the the individual outputs, as well as we had a local camera there to to grab onto in another room with a teleprompter for Michael. Now, we've moved out of that office, and so we've we've kind of had to pare down, and so um, so what we've um, done is is kind of. Uh, definitely made the the system a little bit more efficient <laughs> for now it's definitely harder to use than what we had here this one was a great thing because it's all set up and all you gotta do is sit down and turn it on and flip the switch and go um but we so we had to find a more software and i thought that would be useful to at least discuss um so the tools that we're using right now um are uh to, to do this is of course zoom zoom we're using zoom for that uh, we are using uh zoom iso um to export our our um to, to output our files, loop back to route those. And then we're using uh, Mimo Live to do the live stream. And I'll show that in a second. Um, so that's what's what's generating the live stream there. That we then record to audio hijack as well as a mix pre, as well as Zoom itself. <laughs> so so there's the thing that you always want to like if you're doing a podcast, it's great to do a live stream for this show, but it is also something that we um uh it is uh, the the most important thing is having some version of the record um, that's that's uh, that's available to us, and um, so that's you know how that and then we are using Jeff. We're still using Resolve for the for the um, edit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so that's with and, other stuff. With other stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So the um, the the what we're well and Jeff let people know what the other stuff is. So we're using Resolve and and, and just so you know we. A lot of this went back and forth. <laughs> so just to give you a little back and forth of, of how these things kind of evolve. Uh, uh, Jeff mostly uh, uses Reaper in the past, right? Jeff, that's your that's your kind of daily driver. That's my daily driver, right, for, yeah. for voiceover. Yep. And my daily driver is Logic. And I didn't want to use Reaper, and Jeff didn't want to use Logic. And so we, we, we found our way. We, we, we compromised and ended up in Resolve. <laughs> so so um, in, this, in the system that you, uh, that you see here, um, I don't think you can see it. It might not be open right there right now, but on this computer here, while we were doing the records with the hardware, I was outputting direct outputs from, um, you know, Dante outputs from this uh, X32 into Resolve. And so I would set that up in Resolve and hit record, you know, right before the show. And oftentimes what I was doing is we'd, we'd hit record on the other recorders a while for a while. Uh, <laughs> A while before that, you know, so we had uh, and what we were recording on in the hardware was a Joko 
So Joko makes a one U unit that records 64 channels of Dante. So we hit record on the Joko um, via an iPad. And then we hit record on Boom Recorder. And you'll find, again, as we talk about recording podcasts, the thing that I'm most worried about is that I bring somebody in and record and don't have anything to show for it. So you'll see lots of lots of versions of things. I, and oftentimes I record it at different times. So those I, I spool those up at different times. So um, one of the records starts usually 15 minutes before. Another one starts five minutes before. And then the, the third one usually starts right before the thing so that I don't have a lot of... It's relatively contained recently because the new version is all in my house and, and Michael just comes over to my house to record while we're figuring out where we're going next. Um, uh, I hit record like 15 or 20 minutes before. And the reason I do that is because I just don't want to, I don't want to think about, I'm worried about the final setup and I'm by myself with Michael and I just want to know that I'm recording, <laughs> you know? And so um, I will show you, uh, let's see here. Let me open this up a little bit here. Um, a lot of the stuff is pretty, um, you know, I'm not, this isn't like a, here's how to do the most complicated version of, um, of, of what we're doing. Uh, this is really a, uh, um, this is just what, what I'm actually working on. And again, we can discuss it. Um, and if you're watching, you have suggestions, you're more than welcome to the, the, um, uh, what we're, you know, what we're sending in here. And I don't think you'll be able to see it through this because I don't have it set up quite this way. Um, but this is the the very, very complicated loopback um, that I use here is just this. <laughs> so it, and all I'm doing is I'm grabbing a pass-through. Um, I'm grabbing, this is my mix pre, of course, and I'm just grabbing the one channel from the mic, one of the channels from the mic and putting it into, the, into uh, my uh, left channel. And then I'm just grabbing pass-through um, from, uh, you know, from Zoom ISO and putting it into this channel here. So this is my little, and this test device, because I was... Here's what. Here's why there's a test device. Is like if I don't use loopback for a while, I forget that I have to use pass pass through, which is just the most annoying thing about loopback is this concept of pass through. Like it's it like just I want to my brain if left alone will just go back to I'm going to add Zoom ISO as a device. You cannot do that. You cannot add Zoom ISO as a device. You have to add pass through as a device, which is just I love loopback, but. Not a good nomenclature. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, so I, I, um, so what happened is, is that I had, uh, another one here. Um, this is, this is, I think this is Apple. Hold on. Let me see if I can find another one here. Like, this is what I had. And really here's the worst part face. is I had pass through and then I put this in. I was like, why do I have pass through here? And I put this in here and then couldn't figure out why, you know, it was complete. It didn't work. And I had to, I had to call someone very high up at Zoom for tech support. So, anyways, I was, I was like, I was like, I don't understand why this is it. And 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 it just if it, I, I knew that it was passed through from the past, but it had been a long time since I set it up. So, anyway, so the the thing, if you're doing this, you have to use pass through out of Zoom ISO um, to make this work. I will say that what I love about Zoom ISO for this specifically is, otherwise, I'm grabbing the far zoom. What's nice about Zoom ISO is is that if I'm if I'm going in here, I don't think I'll have it. I don't think without it running, I don't think I'm gonna, it's going to, um, let's see here, hold on. Grab this here. Um, and we'll go to advanced outputs. So the, the big thing here that I, that I really like about Zoom ISO in this case is that the participant, I can just, I, I don't have one here right now because I'm not joining this, this event, but I can choose who I'm outputting. 
And that is super important to me because it's not just what's coming out of Zoom. It's what it is the person, the person that I want to grab. That means if other people can be in the Zoom and making noise. I made a mistake on this a couple of versions back and Jeff had to spend a lot of time fixing that. And so, um, and so the, uh, but, but when I do it correctly, the, um, the Zoom ISO allows me to just you know, just cherry pick the people that I want to grab audio from and then send them out. Now the, the, and I will say that the, um, again, none of this is, I felt like it was worth showing because none of this is particularly uh, complex. Um, It's it's relatively, you know, easy to kind of see what we're, what we're working on here. So this is the, um, I was using an ATEM uh, switcher and I really, the problem is, is that I, I really like using for this kind of show, I keep on feeling I could just use memo for this. I don't need to go in through the switcher. Um, and so I, you know, that that is kind of a, a thing that I kind of keep on going back and forth with. Um, if you look at this, this is kind of the basic setup here. This is the one we did from last week. It's not very complicated. Um, there's a, you know, there's an interview here. Now, what you'll see here is there's the, um, I have the audio, the local audio, as well as the Zoom audio coming in. Um, and then I have these two little, um, these layer layer sets. And so all I have to do is hit this and you'll see it pop open to um, what is now going to be the show. Now this is, this is the two images going in and out, but normally this would be zoom on one side and the input on the other. Um, but I, but I, and I hit, uh, when I hit, when I recall again, what that does on that recall is it mutes the mics and throws up the slate all at the same time. So I don't have to, you know, I don't have to sit there and hit all these layers to turn them on. I just go, okay, I'm ready to go live. And I say, you're live. And then we're live. <laughs> you know, and then I hit this and, and you're, and you're not live anymore. And so, so those are the, um, and so that's, it's nice to be able to mute the mics out and have all of those bits and pieces that are there. I have an audio monitor here so I can hear what's going on. Um, you know, through, I can hear what's going out of the stream. Um, these, the, um, interview, uh, and what I have, this is the, the next piece of it, but I have, uh, in here, this is a zoom ISO output. Um, so that there's one that is the camera that goes in. This is the camera from this camera here is going into the computer, is is being a- accessed by uh, Mimo. The other side is just saying, I have a Zoom ISO. It's this person. It's the, again, this participant goes out of that other half. And I keep it very simple. It's there as a service to the people who are subscribers to um, uh, graymatter.show that they can see the two people because we don't, we just do an audio podcast. So I don't, I haven't spent as much time trying to turn it into a show show like we what we have here. It's mostly like, hey, you see both people talking. <laughs> so you're, you get to be in the room. Um, and so we may, you know, we keep on playing around with refining it further. But this is a very simple way. And, and I, 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 again, I was hesitant to show it because I was like, well, this is really simple compared to what we do for the show. But I wanted to kind of show like this is just all happening on a single computer. Now, I'm going to probably separate this out. And it's mostly because... Um, Michael's sitting in the space that I'm sitting in right now and I'm kind of over to one side and I'm kind of using computers. And so I'm now moving some of this over to another computer so that he would join on, on another one. And then I would, anyway, that I'm kind of putting together a slightly more complex system, uh, as we move forward so that I, but it's mostly so I can sit over there without having, without Michael being bothered by too much of what I'm doing. So the, um, the other thing is, is that if we move to what's, what'll be nice is if we actually move to doing this at Michael's house, which we're talking about, is that then I just have two Zoom ISOs. And as a record, like right now, what makes this actually harder is that somebody's in the space with me. It's actually easier to do this podcast as a third party of just joining, getting two people to to talk to each other and recording all the ISO feeds from them. 
Um, now, I will say that we did use, you know, you'll ask why are we not recording locally? We did try Shout uh, um, Squadcast. Squadcast. We tried Squadcast. Um, and the challenge with Squadcast was that it uh, uh, it stopped recording in the middle of the show. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few, only a few things that you need it not to do. And, and stopping recording without really making a big deal about it, like just stopping. And we had, you know, it took us a second to figure out that we had stopped. It wasn't like it had a big alert or anything else. It just was like, mm, I'm going to stop now. I have some theories. I was like, because I, I did a, after that, I did a Squadcast with, um, Tyler Stallman and it was, it worked great, you know, with, with, um, with Squadcast. And so I have a theory that we're using it in a way that's, that Squadcast is not used to because what I was doing with Squadcast is joining multiple times and taking full resolution feeds to push back into Memo Live and, uh, or, you know, and, and then stream it, you know, so I wanted to stream those ISOs while we were recording the ISOs, while we were recording the video ISOs. And I have a feeling that Squadcast did not like that. I don't think, because I was trying that, to figure out why it, it should Yeah, that's not, but and, and I can share if you want um, yeah. what does happen. So uh, originally, believe it or not, this was the intended feature and functionality. That it would stop recording? Uh, that it would stop recording. So in other words, and and meaning, so, so the getting the ISOs um isn't it because it it's invisible to them in other words it's just a viewer a person viewing and they support up to 10 uh right. viewers and the fact that you're then on your system recording it is irrelevant to them what does happen though the intended feature is if two or three people are joined in and one of the on stage participants their connection for whatever reason remember this is browser based which is great for some reasons and, and not for mm -hmm. others, is if they disconnect or their connection becomes spotty, then they decided, well, we ought to stop recording because they're going to want to fix that. Um, I, of course, was quite vocal with some choice words of explaining that that is not a good behavior, especially <laughs> without the warning. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and they are changing... Um, they're in the process of, of changing that with the merger, but that was the intended behavior originally. They heard from lots of people, people like just, me, <laughs> that that is not at all the intended well, behavior. And again, the thing is, is it's fine for me to, for it to turn the video off and just say, I can't send you a video because I don't have enough bandwidth and I'm going to keep on recording locally and you can just hear it and it gives me a warning. Like, I'd be totally fine with that. The, the I'm going to stop in the middle um, without really telling everyone that I'm stopping. Like that was the big thing is that like, it took us a minute, like there was like a minute we lost because we just kept going. We were like, I don't quite understand what's going on here. Uh, and they also, for, for what it's worth, the fact that they then will kick some other participants that aren't even the ones with the bad connection out of the session also was an undesirable feature. <laughs> So, so anyway, all we're saying is if you're listening Zoom, the, the local record, the double ending recording is still valuable to us. Like if you're thinking about someday actually uh, doing that, we would love to see that because uh, there aren't any solid solutions yet. Uh, go ahead, Talak. So Alex, I wanted to, to ask you, when you say you can't directly grab Zoom ISO in loopback, do you mean because of some reason audio wise because i know you can no actually no it's, grab it's it. that it's the, it's just that the the function of the way that loopback works is um that you used to, you, you if you grab onto zoom iso here um uh, 
if you grab onto it here, if you do this, what I'm doing here, it's grabbing yeah. the wrong, the output as if you were the Zoom participant. Right? Oh, I mean, right, 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 right. To it's get, the wrong to get, thing. Yeah. It's the, it's the wrong thing. So you need to have the pass through here is grabbing onto the, that's what's going, and if I, I think if I add these channels, yeah, so then you get four channels if I want out of here of the pass through. So if I keep on adding mm. output channels here, you know, I would get, these are the, this isn't changing. This is just the stereo out as if you were the participant, a, a standard participant output of Zoom ISO. This is the channels that are, that I can grab onto. So if I look at, um, if I go back to Zoom ISO, and it makes sense in my head. I still don't know how to, I'm still working on how to describe it. Um, but, uh, you know, now I can, let's see, I have test device. And I think if I go to Zoom, let's see, if I go back to test device, um, I should, I should be able to get more, more channels now. No, I think I might have to restart or whatever, but, but the, um, but the point is, is that this pass through is the pat it's, it's what it's delivering and you have to use pass through in loopback. Um, you cannot, I mean, you can use Zoom ISO, but you're only getting the, the standard Zoom output. If you want yeah, to get the individual channels, you have to use pass through. And I see what you're saying. That's half, half the reason I'm doing the show right now. So people know that if you're using loopback, use the pass through. So anyway, and, and I'll figure out a way to describe it and put it up on online somewhere because it's, it, it seems to be the, it just, it seems very illogical. Um, you know, the way they call, what they call pass through is a, is a, uh, I I don't understand the name. I don't understand how they came up with that name, um, and it's confusing in this specific um, uh, thing because you just want to call it by what it is, and you can't. So so anyway, but I will say that I did, as as you can see, I did get loopback working on my machine again, and I'm using it all as you can see by many setups. I I use it a lot um, to kind of rewire things. So yeah, go ahead, Bill. I think like a lot of people, I'm surprised at how complex the system is for doing something that it seems like it's simple. But then I realized I've been going through a kind of a slightly similar thing. Uh, back in January when I started doing audiobooks, I realized that I, I did not understand that workflow at all. And I had to create a workflow. And I was in the early process and I remembered an article I had read a long time ago by the guy who was the Harvard Medical School valedictorian, a guy named Atul Gawande. And he was talking about the vast improvement in hospital functions that he recognized when they started moving to a system of checklists. And yeah. as this thing got more and more complex, as your description of it was, I went, yeah, that's something I should pay attention to. And in fact, when I started doing the workflow for the audiobooks, I started creating checklists. I created three uh, a setup for recording a podcast checklist that I go through every single time and it eliminates all that. Am I not doing something right? Am I, am I going to fail? Is something not going to get recorded or whatever? A tracking checklist, which is the actual work that I'm doing in the middle. And then a post because surprisingly audiobooks are very complicated on the back end in terms of your processing. And right. I have a very specific thing that I have to go through. And I can't tell you the relaxation of having those three checklists. And every time I sit down to do an audiobook, I simply make sure everything is checked off on a fresh copy. And then when I'm tracking, I make sure everything's checked off on that before I actually start reading and in post the same thing. And I have not had a single flaw or problem since then. And revising the checklist, uh, just last week, I thought somebody had pinged in my mind that auditions in Final Cut might be a better format in which to track because it keeps you on a single line, but you can do multiple takes and then finalize yeah. later to the one you want. And that was a like, wow. And I immediately went to my checkbook and I just said, I want another checklist. Think about auditions. And, and I have a checklist of the things that need to be delivered. The main thing is, is that I, um, 
I'm constantly trying to improve. For me, the problem is, is I rarely do the same thing twice the same way. Like it's just, mm. it's just my nature. And so checklists are useful. Like I have a list of the things that have to be produced, uh, but it is very rare. Almost no, we've done graymatter.show, I don't know, 60 times or something like that. They've done it, we've done it twice or three times the same way, maybe once. So you're going to explore like in, in that thing, You know, like, because I'm, it's just this constant, like, because I'm, I'm, you know, um, I, I used to have a, a sign. Um, I had a whole bunch of quotes. So when I say I have a sign, my old office, I had a whole bunch of quotes that would just, I would look up and it would remind me of something. But I had one that just said, iterate and dominate. <laughs> it just it just it was just like it was just like just keep iterating and so you'll find that I just I'm constantly like just I'm making everything a little bit I'm just constantly turning things all the time you know and so the so my nature is is that I I have checklists of things that need to be produced like my big thing is is that I you know the show happens a couple hours after office hours ends and we're using the same system as off it used to be really easy because I would just go down to the office and Kevin had it all set up and Michael would walk in and it would just do 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 the thing. And so the now the, the the issue that I have is that I'm that I'm setting up, and so I've got two hours from the time office hours ends uh, to when the when the show begins. And really, it's not two hours; it's an hour and a half before Michael shows up. So everything has to be flat by by ten thirty, you know, to so that I don't have to have be thinking about anything other than serving what Michael needs and the guests coming in and so on and so forth. When things work, when things don't work, then you know. But that's why you give that yourself that space. I try to have everything else set up the night before. So the night before I have any of the, I have the poster frames for YouTube. I have the YouTube stuff set up. I have the, the, um, you know, I've tested the URL. I've tested the, you know, tested a bunch of things that are all there. So that, that part, anything I can get away with that's out there. Then I have, because I have to kind of flip the system. And right now what I'm doing is I'm re reorganizing my, my Blackbird so that I can hit a preset. And it goes from, the, the goal is that I can hit a preset with a Blackbird that I, I hit it. And it changes all the monitors so that it's for Michael and my monitors over here are, my, are mine. And I can, you know, just hit one button and all those monitors change. And that's that's been a, a evolution for me um, to get that working. And so so anyway, so those are the things that I, you know, um, but I, yeah, checklists are very, very valuable. They have a less value to me than I do have checklists of what needs to be produced, like what needs to be outputted. I often don't have as many checklists for the steps. And the reason for that is that I'm that the steps are almost never the same from one show to the next. Now, when I hand it off to somebody else, I have them do a checklist and I say, don't change that until you talk to me about it. <laughs> so like, I, you know, I hand, when I hand things off to people, I'm like, don't change the steps. But when I do it, I change the steps all the time. Yeah, I'm uh, just using it for drilling down to best practices mm -hmm. so I don't make mistakes. But I, I hear what you're saying I, as you're iterating. I would love to be capable of doing the same thing twice the same way. I just, it's not, it's not in my nature. Like it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's so, the exploratory method. It's, it's, There's it's nothing like wrong this, with that. That's how you advance. It's like this, this, this scorpion, you know, the, the, what is it that they, they talk about the, the in my what nature. Was, yeah. What was the? There was something that what had to what had to going across the river. The scorpion, the frog was asking yeah, the, frog. the scorpion to take <laughs> it across the river. And the, and the scorpion, and the, while they're in the middle of the river, the scorpion strikes the frog, and he's like, "This, this the frog's like, why did you strike me? You killed us both." And he's like, "It's my nature." <laughs> so, so my nature is that I change things. Oh yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah the um, the fu the funniest thing you may have said today, Alex, is that this is a reasonably simple setup. I don't think there's another podcast being recorded in existence that even has this setup. Of course, it's nothing like. Uh, well, and, and let me hours. let me talk about the commitment that we have to it and why it's complicated or why it's more complicated. Recording a podcast, and I'm by not the way, saying it's a bad thing, by the way. Recording a podcast over Zoom 
is relatively simple. Like if you have a record, like if I had just loopback and and um, audio hijack, I'll show you audio hijack as well. Um, the because uh, audio hijack is super simple, um, and we're going about to make it a little more complicated because that's what we do. Um, but uh, but the uh, let's see here. This is the this is the super complicated. Um, thing that I use here. This is just all I do is I have an input device, which is grabbing onto that, you know, whatever, um, you know, I can grab onto any of the zoom stuff that I want to. Um, I just want to see levels. So I have a, I have an RMS in there and then I have a recorder that <laughs> records and it records left and right. And that's why I put them on left and right is so the recorder, I just give, I can send Jeff a left and right signal and he has what he has the show that's isolated. And so it's a super simple way to to do the record. Um, we're going to add some automation to it so that it automatically uploads. That's the next thing for us to to do it when it gets to the end. But it's not a, not a big change right now. Um, yeah. So anyway, but the reason that it's more complicated is because we're committed to a live interaction with the audience. And so... It's that's the part that's complicated. We want to show a video to the audience and we want them to be able to ask questions via Mukana so that it's not just because this was reproducing the radio show that Michael had before, which is that he had radio call-ins and we're using Mukana to replace that. But the idea is, is that Michael has questions, of course, to ask the, the guest, but we want to make it available to the, the live audience to ask their own questions and be part of that conversation as well. And so the it's that live most people, almost I would say 99.99999% do not have a live audience listening and asking questions um, during their podcast. Like that's just not a, you know, like Leo does that, but he doesn't really take a lot of questions. He just has an IRC that he occasionally looks at. We, we drive, you know, part of the show with it. There's probably, you know, in a one hour session, there's anywhere from eight to 15 questions that are asked, you know, throughout the, throughout the day from the listeners. And that's a lot. You know, for a listener, you know, for listener driven, it's probably anywhere from 40 to 60% of the show is driven by the listeners. And so that's the difference between what we're doing and why we're, why it, I often think this would be a lot simpler if I just recorded it. <laughs> you know, like, and, and we just, you know, like, and we weren't taking live questions and we weren't streaming it out to people. It would definitely be a simpler show. And what I, what I wanted to add is it, it it's, it's not even just that because there are simple ways to do that. For instance, a fair amount of people do use YouTube Live, which we've ta been yeah. talking about, and and you can have multiple hosts uh, all connected over YouTube Live. You can be taking chat questions and interacting, mm -hmm. and then when you're done, that is there for uh, for listening uh, on demand. But there's for all good reasons. There's a lot of uh, additional quality that has been added to this. Um, the, the security of the way Makana lets you moderate and bubble up questions and, and all the other things that make it better and stand like Mike, out. Like Michael doesn't have to look tools. at it. Michael doesn't have to look at the chat in YouTube. Like we're, there's a teleprompter view sitting next to him. Then Michael will look over and see the questions popping in because we're feeding those to him. You know, where those are bubbling forward. Um, and you know, to Jeff's point also, like other, a couple other things, and I'm going to get to question. We'll go pretty quickly, but we'll go to questions here soon. But one of the things that uh, we also do as a note when you're listening to it is for about 80% of the folks that are on the show, we mail them mic. So we mail them an MV7, um, you know, that then we do a tech check with them beforehand to make sure they know, know how to use that mic. It's still not perfect, but it's a lot better than letting them do it. Every time we let them use their own mics, it's somewhere between a 
a disaster and okay. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, you know, like it, and, and, um, and so we try to, and the, what broadcasters, we get pretty high end guests and these people are on a lot of TV shows a lot of times. And what broadcasters tell them is okay, you know, over and over every day, they'll tell us, well, I use this on CNN. I use this all the time. I use these for hits da, 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 and it's embarrassing. Like, and then we, we, we go look at them. We go look at what their sh- what the shows that they showed up on. And we were like, oh man, that is not okay. You know? And, um, and so that's the, you know, that, so we send out a mic. It's a, it's a bit of an expense and a process, but it's, we think it's worth it because <laughs> I, because I don't like listening to bad audio. Um, and yeah. IFB. And we send them an IFB as well. Yeah, so that they don't have, um, sometimes they'll wear it, sometimes they won't, but we send them one. <laughs> so they get one either way. And that's a standard audio implements. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, Alex, I liked what you said about the the motivate, like motivational signs around the office. What, what did you say? Uh, uh, iterate it, and dominate. Yeah, I, I, I have, my most important one is this one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That is an important it's, one. There it's very motivational. And yeah. It's words to live by. <laughs> I have learned that if you hear the trash truck going down the hill, it'll come back up in, in two minutes. No, no. You have two minutes and, and, and you can run out there and pull everything out in the first thing in the morning. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Uh, yeah, in the uh, diagram you just showed, it showed your recording 16-bit. I wondered if, since you've got people coming in, that you may not have control over their level. Aren't you worried about going over and going into clipping if you're only recording 16 bits and not 24 I mean, it's, bits? It's clipping in Zoom before it clips to us. Like it's not. So we're not Zoom is automatically control. controlling the uh, compressing the level somewhat. Yeah, I mean it's even even in, in but I mean saying if if it clips, it's going to clip in Zoom on the way through. And I can make it 24 bit, but I don't think I'm I don't think I'm buying anything from it. You know, like it's it, it Zoom is. Uh, um, like if several it. of you talk over each other, like I just talked over you. <laughs> but those are separate channels. Okay, so they're oh, so they're all kept isolated. So you're yeah. never summing the two channels together with the no, and then, the ability if you both laugh or something to go over this. No, and, and the local mic with Mike Michael is on is on a mix pre with a limiter, so it's not going to go. You know, it's and 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 yeah. then they're recorded. They're typically bouncing it like negative twelve, so it's not. You know, they're not particularly. We usually, I think that Jeff usually has to gain them up, and then Jeff you know, does a fair bit of, I mean, Jeff, do you want to outline just in a couple of minutes, just one or two minutes, and then we'll go into questions, but you're kind of what the post post for the show looks like. So I upload yeah. this, by the way. So I, I finish this and I upload it to Jeff on Frame.io. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's a question about this. So the, the, the challenge is usually the other person and it's always a balancing act even with the equipment that we're sending them between the inconvenience to them uh who are for the most part not technical folks they just need to get something and then just having something that works so uh there we're almost always having to do some kind of de-reverb and um sometimes quite a bit of uh, noise cancellation because even though we ask them, they have a big giant fan running in the background, the air conditioning is running, or just simply we told them and we're all set up to be this far from the mic and then they start talking and they get relaxed and then they're, you know, all of a sudden this far from the mic. And so, of course, we have the room in there. So those are almost always the challenges. And um, 
you know, some of the new AI tools, I, you know, I try and do everything as lightly as possible because I hate how much I end up having to damage the quality by the time I do all those things and noise cancellation and, and de-reverb and, oh, and by the way, a fair bit of, you know, de-click because it would be horrible if I didn't do that. And then plosives, you know, so I'm running a de-plosive because no matter where we put the mic, they always end up banging right into it. Um, so, but some of the AI tools, so for a couple shows where it was just horrible, uh, we had one where there was a mysterious clicking, consistent clicking throughout the entire recording of the guest that was, of course, not there during Tech Check. And um, and you get into, by the way, if you're doing a regular podcast, a lot of times you stop. The problem, the, the problem you get into is that if you stop on a guest too often, they get into a different state. So you can, you know, once you're once you're going you have to understand that their mental state of, you know, where they are emotionally and, and are they ready to have a, a good conversation matters. And so we can fix cer a certain number of things. And then when we say, oh, we're going to fix it later, it's because we make it, you know, or I make a decision oftentimes that stopping their flow and then trying to get them back on could be very difficult to get what I need out of them. And I'd rather fix the technical issue. I mean, sometimes the technical issues are bad enough that we stop. But a lot of times we go, well, Jeff's going to have to fix this because I, I, I just don't want to. We only have that person for an hour. And if we stop it and they get, you know, it takes them a little time to ramp up. We've had ones where we push too hard and for the first 10 minutes they're off. You know, they're angry about something. And, and you know, that, and that's so you have to kind of when you're doing these records, you have to kind of take that into account. And, I'd rather have a better performance with some technical problems than... Most technical of the time. Uh, no technical problems and a horrible performance. Yeah, most of the time that's the way we approach it. Jeff, did you want to add anything before we... Uh... Yeah, so so now, you know, what I've been experimenting quite a bit is some of these AI tools like what Descript has mm -hmm. and what Adobe Podcast has, and there's some others where if I really need to fix something that all of my bank of plugins isn't doing a good job with, is I'll take the original track and run it through one of those, the, the whole entire track, um, as minimally as possible to get rid of those big problems I want to yeah. get rid of, and then start with that track to then finalize with EQ and all the stuff that I would be doing in the DAW. So, um, so I, I'm more optimistic. Oh, and by the way, also, if we don't, they swear to us that they are on a wired Ethernet connection. Um, <laughs> but of course, they didn't. They didn't turn off Wi-Fi, so they're still on Wi-Fi. Yeah. Or that thing is plugged into the computer, but nowhere else. Right. So, um, and then you get those little Wi-Fi garbles where a couple mm -hmm. words are just garbled, and it's always, of course, the pivotal thing. Like yeah. the secret to life is. Yeah. So, um, uh, Descript, for example. Uh, lets you now just take some of those words and interestingly that for security I guess they may it has to match the transcription you can't just make them say something but if it does you can use their AI to regenerate that word and it's been it flawless well. no one yeah. has noticed those yeah. fixes and I'm amazed what, what it's doing yeah uh, next question 
Next one comes to us, Mandy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. What post tools do you use to optimize interview subject audio? Remote interview audio quality can be challenging. We've just been talking. I think about we talked about that. We 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 um, we're using uh, Resolve for that, and which I think is working pretty well. Jeff, are you you getting the hang of it? Yes, although um, you know what I'll probably annoyingly uh, push to discuss more is is now the trade off between as some of these other tools advance and, and what that balance good balance I, I is think, for the tools. I think we'll see a lot either as plugins or the apps themselves. I think you'll start to see these tools end up in the DAWs themselves. Like I, I think that they're oh, we're, we're sending them out sure. and bringing them back in, but I think that that'll that'll probably like Resolve can already do transcription. You just can't do much with it except for right. search for the point of where that is. Right. Next question. Jim Brooks in New York says, good morning. What's the best way to improve one's podcast listenership? Are there ways to promote the podcast? Thanks. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, you find somebody with over a million subscribers and you wheedle your way onto their show to promote your podcast. Because that's one of the few <laughs> ways to increase your uh, listenership. Because the problem is uh, podcast land uh, is served, especially YouTube, is served by algorithms which move the most popular and most clicked on up to the top. And if you're starting at the bottom, you're going to get pushed to the bottom all the time. So exposure is very difficult to get unless you are mentioned or promoted either through advertising, which, you know, is debatable that people, anybody's paying attention to advertising, uh, or through uh, a referral from somebody who has a big audience. And, you know, I know Alex has mentioned office hours on uh, Mac break weekly a lot of times, and that's where we get a lot of our, our listenership from, and it's a good way to expand your listenership. You have to find somebody who's much more popular than you and get them to promote your podcast. Yeah. And, and what I would say is before you promote your podcast, do get the production pipeline figured out. Like the, you know, there's a, there's nothing worse than b most podcasts. I find most podcasts to be unlistenable. Like, like, you know, the probably a solid 98 to 99% are either unlistenable because the host isn't good or unlistenable because the audio isn't good, you know, and I just find them to be like, just uh, you know, it, it, it takes something, it takes practice, it takes a process to do that. And most podcasts aren't, aren't there, you know, and, nice. and so figure that out before you start trying to get more people to listen to it because you only get to, oftentimes you only get one chance. Like I look, listen to somebody's podcast and I'll very quickly make a decision about whether I'm listening to this again, you know, um, and so, uh, you, yeah, next question. Can I share a, just a quick story yeah, yeah, <laughs> about sure. that? Um, there's a company that uh, I love their stuff and they release not podcasts, but they released like informative instructional videos. and they were so bad that uh, they were unlistenable as far as I was concerned, but I really wanted to. So for pure selfish reasons, I reached out to them and said, can you guys let me help you a little bit like free? I'll just give you like lots of good tips you can do because I want to be able to listen to it and I can't. And won't you know that email when I said your stuff is unlistenable, let me help you. They answered right away and took me up on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and, and a lot of times people just don't know, like they, they're literally going to a, you know, it's like, you know, they just don't know that, that it sounds that bad. And I don't think that they're self-conscious enough. I think they just think they can listen. They can just record it any old way. They had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, next question. Guy Cochran, Seattle, USA. What controller was attached to the X32 in the first build photo? Would you recommend that model or is there something else? 
Yeah, that's an X-Touch. There's a couple different versions of it. I think that's the full-size X-Touch as opposed to the uh, the smaller one. And it is a, um, it's a standard Behringer controller. And it is, um, I I like it. Uh, this is, this is the, uh, uh, let's see, there you go. Yeah, this is, this is what Guy's talking about is this one up in the front. So this is the X-Touch control. I think this is the X-Touch, the full-size X-Touch controller. What I like, this is how I use the X32 most of the time, which is that, I like the X32 in a rack where I can do all the all the wiring to it, and I like to have an Ethernet connection to it that lets me control that, and that can be anywhere I want. I don't like having the mixer and the audio cables in the same place, um, and so that's kind of the you know that that's just a personal like how we built a lot of our pipelines um, to make that happen. And I yeah I should I should mention that in that hardware section, um, I do want to put out that that the uh, the magic Mickey hands oftentimes have made that work. <laughs> so, so like the, you know like the magical uh mickey has, has has cast his magic spells and has often been there when we were putting that together making it work i just want to i we, we haven't mentioned mickey but but he's uh, been integral to making that hardware solution actually um operate well um next question uh next question from talak lopez waterman huntington west virginia here on the panel how much editing is required for the final publish go ahead, jeff that word required is is such a funny piece of this puzzle because, um, like we just mentioned, I, I listen to so many professional podcasts from well-known brands, companies, and uh, I am also shocked by the quality as well as what, what things are left into the final product. So it's a very subjective thing. You know, we, we certainly have a higher bar and I like to think so I, I go through it with a pretty yeah. fine tooth comb and we do little subtle things um, like for instance uh, because of the way we're recording and we're not getting a local recording which maybe we talk about a bit but be, so so we have the zoom latency between when the a host Michael speaks and when the guest answers and it's an, a bit of an unnatural gap that that just subconsciously to the listener would sound a bit off. So, you know, go through those and, and you know, experiment with automated tools, but inevitably usually manually, uh, you know, chop all those out. And and so there's a there's quite a bit that that I do and that we're doing for every step, which is a higher bar. They're not required but hopefully they they make a difference. And it's very variable. Like we had one guest that that does pause when they answer questions and that's part of their how they deliver. And I and I was dropping off like so what was interesting is is that I was dropping off the mic uh with with him a couple of weeks ago and he's like there's a lot less pauses than normal. Like and I, like he had listened to it he goes, "Oh, I, I enjoyed it. It was great." But he goes you took a lot of the pauses out and and, and he kind of mentioned that that's kind of how I make a point sometimes. So, so it was a we so we're we're we as a result we're more careful about it. it is is there's a delay that happens that you want to remove there's not the reason i did it the reason we started pulling the well the reason i started pulling some of the delays out was specifically because when we were doing ones across the world that delay got bigger and when when that happened um i was like i it was really noticeable um vienna was on and and when she was on we noticed there was a larger and she tends to be very quick and there was a larger gap there and it just felt it felt odd for her to have that such long one so i started doing it there jeff does a much better job and, and the difference is the the gap between when the speakers alternate versus i was also with him in particular he, he had what i considered above average pauses mm -hmm. within his speech and, and that's and 
we're kind of moving more to leave it. Yeah. We're going to start leaving those alone. <laughs> like let them just do what they're going to do and only just pull the latency that we know is, is being created by the system. Um, next question. Next question comes to us from Robert Linkrum in Belmont Shores, California. Alex, what's the timer clock you're using on your iPad? Um, I was trying to look at where the timer clock is. Oh, oh, that. Atomic. So this is, yeah, this down here, this is atomic clock. Um, we've been using it for, I don't know, a decade. Uh, by Goring, I think Goring something or other. But um, there's a couple atomic clocks. The one is, that's by Goring something um, is the one we use. Um, and it does kind of a BBC with seconds. And then this thing will go around in, you know, and it makes the seconds feel like they're going slower. I don't know why, but it does. Like the, for some reason, the little dots going around make time feel like it's moving slower. So there's a psychological thing there for me. And I have one up here too. Like I keep that clock. That's It's nice. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. I noticed the ATEM SDI Extreme ISO in the picture. Why aren't you controlling the ATEM from MIMO Live? Because I haven't needed to. Um, you know, I, 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 I just use it. In this case, I use it as a, um, I use the ATEM as just a digitizer. You know, it just, it's just taking the, that one camera and delivering it. And I don't need it to do anything else. So there you go. Uh, next question. Jack Cannon, Phoenix, Arizona. Why Reaper, Jeff, over Logic for podcasts? Good, Jeff. The, uh, well, first of all, Logic in particular, you know, my opinion, and, and I think shared by many when I go through the features, and, you know, I, and I tried to really give it a lot of time to make sure that um, the faults I was finding were not because I didn't know how to do something. I wanted to make sure that I was confident that the things I wanted to do, it just doesn't do. And I'm reasonably now confident with that opinion, which is it is intended for music and it is phenomenal for music. So much so that I started playing around with some of the stuff in there for music. But, you know, so many of the things that you need or that are useful for editing dialogue, just tools to make it quicker, by the way. I mean, you can manually do all the stuff, of course, but it's drilling through menus to find the functions that I can hotkey. Um, and uh, and by the way, you go to their website, there's not a mention of podcasting or dialogue or um, anything else, voice or I mean, nothing, everything, all the marketing is about music, nothing about anything, everything, anything else. So their attention is clear. It's not by accident, I'm sure. They're great at music. Reaper is the complete opposite. You know, we talked about like Android or other things. I mean, it is infinitely customizable. I can hotkey to anything I can create. And I have lots of not just hotkeys to functions, but custom uh, like macros, for example. So one button does many things. Uh, when I'm doing voiceover, by the way, my stop and start recording alternates between killing my mic. So when I listen back, I'm not hearing room tone or anything from my mic and then cranking up my uh, headphones a little bit, you know, so I want them a little bit lighter when I'm talking and, and, and higher when I'm reviewing and I can automate that literally with the button. So that shows you how customizable it is, but it's very difficult. It's not a beautiful user interface like Logic. It's not meant to be necessarily easy to use for complex things. You can learn it, you can do it. And um, 
Uh, and it's just, there's so many of the little things that on the surface, that one thing doesn't make a big deal, but the things that you do, I don't know, a hundred times when editing one show that, that all adds up. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, we had a little discussion of this pre-show and actually it was about some other topic, but I, what I realized is that all computers have basically the same audio engine, the API inside of them. So what really makes the only difference is interface design on top of that. What did the software designer expose to you um, in a system like the Macintosh, uh, whether it's a desktop or a laptop, doesn't matter. They all use the same APIs behind the scene. And because of that, the quality coming out of name five programs that record audio, they're all identical because they're using the same basic engine. So that interface and the way that you learn that interface, it becomes what's important. I was shocked when I got over into the audiobook world that most of the people, a lot of them use Audacity, which has been around forever, a very inexpensive program with a lot of features. A lot of them use a thing called Studio One that I'd never heard of, but it's got some some parts of it that are exposed that are very good for voiceover. I famously have been using Final Cut Pro because it uses the same code as Logic, just in an interface I understand better. So it's really so personalized. I think they all do exactly the same thing in the same way, yet the interface design makes it easier or harder for the individual to get in and learn to do what they need to do. So and it, this and is it, tough. Too many choices it, almost. And it depends on like where you're going to go with it as well. So one of the reasons that I was, I am working on other things in Logic and my resistance is usually to learning more than one interface. <laughs> like, you know, like I just, yeah, you know, and so, so to me, Logic or Resolve will do the surround stuff that I need to do. And so I was kind of like, I'm willing to to do it for those two things, but I'm not, you know, and I, uh, I don't typically at home don't we have a copy for other things that we do for Pro Tools. I don't use Pro Tools because I don't like iLock. Like it just has, you know, iLock makes me a little, makes my eyes cross. I know a lot of people here like it. I hate it. So I won't use it. <laughs> like, you know, like I just, I, I'm just got, you know, because it's just, I, I, I've spent time uh, trying to get it to work and I'm not willing to give that time back up again. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. And I'll uh, share my screen here. Um, and and one of the things, again, seems minor, but I can't tell you how often this is useful, which is Reaper has all optional, but something that uh, I believe they call it spectral waveforms. So uh, as you can see, it, you know, it, it, to me, using anything else, uh, Logic and, and even Resolve, you know, it's a black and white waveform. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like, you know, editing a movie in black and white, but you want right. it to be color. This gives you such granularity for when you do need to fix things and and repair right. or you need to cut that's out it. a word and join a sentence. I mean, I can see it's like looking at the matrix. You know, I know where syllables are now, so I can join them right. up very easily. And it's so much faster to do it this way. Interesting. Yeah. Next question. Next one comes from Jim Brooks in New York. Have you used Voice ISO in DaVinci? And if so, how do you find it works? Have you used that, Jeff? I haven't used it yet, the Voice ISO. I don't I don't think in the way we do it, I don't think we... Um, it, it, uh, I've not been able to get it to, to work well. There you go. <laughs> Next question. Next question comes to us from Samuel Nordvik in Norway. Are you planning to record the show with Michael remotely from his home, in, home instead of bringing him into your office or home? 
we're discussing it. I think that to do that, I would want to make sure that he doesn't have to think about anything. So we want to set up a station there that he can just simply turn on and I log in remotely over VPN and kind of run everything for him. So we just want to, if we do that, we've done it once from his house already. I, we sent Kevin over to do that. But if, but what we would do is, is normally we would, um, we do want to kind of set it up. And again, we're, you know, we look at this as a way to learn how we want to do podcasts in the future for lots of other things, you know, from a, from either uh, office hours, but also for own, I know, like this is a, podcasts, you know, are still, they're having some commercial challenges right now, but as a general regular communication with folks, they're pretty powerful. And so like figuring out best ways to, to make that, make that work is something we're still thinking about a lot. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next in conjunction with checklists. Do you rehearse failures of any portion of the pipeline and alternate solutions if they occur? I go, Jeff. You know, one of the things that that attracted me to to uh, working on this is what Alex said, which is that every time is probably things are going to be different and trying new things. But when you do that, it makes this part <laughs> hard because you don't know what you're deviating from until about 30 seconds out from from show start. So uh, that part becomes tougher. That's part of the fun of it. Yeah, the the I will say that the the big thing for from this perspective is is that I'm pretty good at there's a checklist that I go through that that is something that I I have multiple records. I don't I don't I let Jeff worry about the about the the Zoom record. But on the local record, I'm pretty careful about like this 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 and even that got something got through because I didn't know it was happening. Um, but I, I'm trying to make sure that on the different channels on my mix pre that I see Zoom and I see Michael as two separate things. On the on the on the other record, I see that. And again, it's trying to make sure that those that I have two copies or three copies of the record are the most important things, you know, to me um, as we as we kind of go through that process. Next question. Uh, it's actually from me here in San Diego. And I was just wondering about local recording. I've always been fantasizing about somebody making a simple inline recorder box. You could send to a guest. They just install it in line with their mic and it captures that mic signal directly and then emails it back to home base. It would seem like such a simple and useful thing. I've had so many conversations with folks about that. Have it you? is the, you know, it's um, what you really want. Is this with a, with a um, Wi-Fi, yeah. uh, a cellular, um, and, a, and, a, and an internal memory card that you can plug this in to any mic and it literally connects back to a server system that allows you to that that allows you to get both live as well as be allowed to record and forward. Sell as many of these as you can make. Like you just you know, it would change a lot of things. I used to think it was a mic. Oh, you need a whole mic. You don't need a whole mic, you just need this part. And then then you don't have to worry about it and you can send it with a mic, but you can have it. But it's that's um in my opinion, that'd be a big business. I go ahead, Courtney. Sorry, I've lost my mouse. Um, well, I do, you know, uh, the Mix Pre 3 and, of course, the Zoom F3, which records 32-bit. You just hit the record yeah. button on it, and it goes, and it also works as an interface to Zoom. Yeah, sending that uh, out to somebody that was hard. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it's both expensive and it's complicated. Like, we send out Mix Pre's to people, and not, not for this show, but for other ones. And in addition to the extra cost of sending it, like, it, it seems like even if you lock a lot of the stuff out, 
they still find ways to get confused and not have it work. And, and it's, it's, you well, know, if you it's set still, it to 32 bit record there, there's one way of mm, avoiding problems. And, mm. uh, cause it is 32 bit and you set it up and send it to them. It's $300 device. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, they'll have to, it, like doesn't, it, it doesn't email it back to you. So I'll give you that. The, the main uh, thing that, that I want is something that they don't have any control over. Like this is the thing that we need as a podcast production company all the things when I, t when, when I talk to, to people about how I want video to work, how I want audio to work, how I want, I'm like, I don't want the user to have any input. Like I want them to plug this into their computer and then just step away and let me take over <laughs> because it's just, it is the, the number one thing that kills us on records is local input. Like they just having, they're having them be able to do anything. They need to be able to open, like when I talk to people about video conferencing, I'm always like, I want to send you a link. You're going to click on the link. And it's going to open up. There will be no interface. You will see what I send you, what I what I define for you to see, and 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 I will and I will and you'll click a couple things and say it's okay to use your camera. It's okay to you know select your audio, and then I will take over. <laughs> you know, and and it's the that, that's what we need someone to send me is not like you can release me, but you got to let me just take over to do this stuff. And and it's it's and the more I can do it in the hardware and not in their computer, the better. But because yeah, if it's if it's in their computer, you got to deal with things like you don't know how their computer's set up. They have notifications turned on. No, I prefer it to all to be hardware. Like I think that there's a huge opportunity to have an audio video device like a roadcaster yeah. or whatever, but with no with a knob that controls their their mix between themselves and the thing, and a knob that controls their their volume, like like their the, what they hear in their headset. That I want them to be able to control, but outside of that, like nothing. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just because that, that's what breaks. Uh, go ahead, uh, Jeff. But that's why, you know, I, I'm not optimistic that we're going to necessarily see something in hardware for this, because this scenario, I think, is pretty rare. In other words, we care enough to do this, uh, but mm, also the fact that we have different, but that we have different one-off guests, you know, when there's a distributed podcast hosts, yeah, but you, they can do that, but, but we same. have... Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, like you look at all the TV stuff now that we're sending things out to. If they had an easy way to do that, they would. They don't do it because they can't deal with the tech support on the hard hit. Like they can't, you know, like I've talked to them about it. Like they can't sending kits out mean that they have to support those kits. And the fact that each kit has too many dials is a big reason that they don't send them out. Like it's they, you know, because I thought it was budget and they're like, well, it's kind of budget, but it's really just a matter of like we send it out to them. We don't know what state it's going to go into. And it's easier just let them use what they use all the time. But but for example, you know, you you, you mentioned Zoom. I mean, all the pieces are there. Everyone's using Zoom and each Zoom client on computer, at least, has a record button. So everyone is already set up to be able to record. They could so easily, I mean, relatively speaking, add the functionality that it records the guest locally gonna, on their machine I before know, it ever gonna, hits the cloud and a, syncs that up. All and I can say is the, that they announced it. They announced that a year and a half ago. It's, it's a third rail. We'll just walk away from that one. Right. So anyway, because uh, of the demand. <laughs> for, no, no. Right. Just, next question. Next question comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. How are you compensating for the famous ATEM crush? It doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're we're basically sending delivery now. The because Michael's using the same camera that I have, my camera has a LUT that does some compensation for the crush. So so my camera is lifting the what you're seeing here is actually lifting the blacks up before it gets to the ATEM so that when the ATEM pushes them back down again, it doesn't crush them. And the way I did that was I ran the camera through the switcher and then captured a log image 
and then corrected that log image, not not making the correction at the camera. So that's how that's getting handled here. But in general, it wouldn't matter because it's really so that you can see them relatively comfortably. We're not going to, no one ever sees the video after the live. In our case, like we're not, we're not making that available. So um, mostly because I don't want to, if I knew that I was going to let other people see it, the level of work that we would do to make that work would, de you know, swallow up what we're spending on just getting the audio to work. So that's the issue. Um, next question. Mickey McAtorn, the Philippines, why Squadcast over Riverside FM? So I have to admit, I mean, Jeff may have a different opinion about it. Uh, I used it once. I used Riverside once and that little weird thing where it, it basically crops in on the image bit me very badly. And I was, I will never use this product again. <laughs> like, like I just, I just literally, like it, it was so much work for me to fix it. And I looked so bad that the anger that I had related to it, I still get angry thinking about it because it was like a whole weekend, like of me fixing, of, you know, this was a different one than Chris had to fix and um, uh, that we did something else with. But this was like, it was like something that was out in that outer area and it was changing and it was, and I couldn't see it because they had cropped it in because I, I guess I didn't pay enough. I didn't know that there was an, I didn't know there was another version and I didn't know that I was, I wasn't seeing the whole frame. And that is just. What was in the frame? I can't say. <laughs> I'm not going to say on the show. So anyway, um, so anyway, it was, it was bad. Um, so anyway, so it was, it was, you know, it was just out of frame and it was in a very inappropriate anyway. And so, but the thing is I, I would have seen it. It was just like, you know, it was a guest who's crazy and has crazy things on the background and, and there was a crazy thing up there and it was animated anyway. So the, um, uh, so, uh, I, the fact that they did that as a, that I was clear that they did it as a business decision like we're gonna make you pay more to see the whole frame was so repugnant that i just didn't trust the company like i was just like you know and i just i was like so angry with them that they would do that that i i won't use riverside ever again ever there's no chance that i'll ever turn it on now go ahead jeff <laughs> well i think i've been a little bit more objective of looking at the two and, and they really are no, so it's some pencil neck like whenever something doesn't work Whenever something is inconvenient or doesn't work, someone chose money over people. Like that's like you always have to remember when something is inconvenient, when your little top doesn't pop off well, when something doesn't quite click together, when someone someone chose money over people. <laughs> you know, and so I think of I think about that every day. Every time something but, isn't working well, I just go, someone chose money over people. And, you know, like in, you, you know, know, separate conversation. But if we remember Zoom in the early days of the pandemic, they did some things that yeah, but, by but that's intention. That were not very user friendly. Uh, yeah, to the, yeah well, I don't know. I mean, they gave us a lot for free. I mean, that's why Zoom. That's why Zoom exploded absolutely. was because everyone else wasn't giving you forty minutes for free. It, it know, was like, their desire to do that that caused them to do some not so nice things under the hood, and and they won because of it. They won market share. So, well, again, it, it, they never cut part of my frame off. Yeah, but the. Uh, um, well, they, but they installed a web server on everyone's machine. Without uh, I don't care about that. The, so, the, 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 I'm just like, I'm just result oriented. So, so the, with, the, the result was, is that the I mean, Riverside cut a piece of my thing. We're running over time. So we'll leave it yeah. go. But, I, but that's I'll why if, tell you if you're wondering, quick. but if you're wondering why Squadcast instead of Riverside, I will never use Riverside. And, and what made me uh, pay attention to look at them again, Squadcast, and that is because now they've merged, uh, I believe, yeah, Descript acquired Squadcast. So the workflow that usually works 
really has some advantages to the overall workflow and time saving and cost saving because now the time that you use for recording in Squadcast, uh, yeah. you know, is integrated mm-hmm. with your Descript account. So what it does on paper and usually mm-hmm. is really, really nice. Now you can record on Squadcast and it becomes a Descript project that can, you know, generate transcript and all the other stuff yeah. that comes with it. And it's it's a really nice workflow when it mm-hmm. works. Thank you, everybody. I wasn't sure. I, I thought this might be like a fifteen-minute show. <laughs> so anyway, so thanks, thanks to the, uh, uh, thanks to the great, great panel here to make this uh, conversation uh, really go well. It was really the perfect panel for this show, and I can't do this without you. And and thanks to the incredible team on the back end that makes this work. Sorry, we're running a little over. Um, and uh, but thanks to the incredible tech team that 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 develops the, this product, um, that pushes the pushes the whole industry forward by by making this product work. Um, that is cutting the show every day, that is managing what we're showing on every day. And so I really appreciate all of your contribution. And thanks to all the great questions. If we, get, if we didn't get to your question this hour, because we pushed some, some back, uh, it's, if you weren't in the, in the QR code, it goes back to your own notes. And that's in the little hamburger. I just keep on needing to tell people that because they don't put them back in. You can put them back in the next day. So just do that tomorrow. All right. Um, and uh, now... Uh, we're going to, uh, we traveled um, 78,000 miles uh, today, 126,000 kilometers, and that's 623 million bananas for scale. All right, let's get out of here. Get back to after hours between other things. Complaining about Riverside. I'm so angry. There's not very many companies that have gotten me that angry. <laughs> that's one of them. <laughs> Can we get the uh, my, my only question, again? Alex, is how you really feel. <laughs> That. There's just certain things that I'm just like, oh, it was so much work. It was so much pain. And I knowing that they did it just to force uh, for and, and not being super clear about it. Like that was the thing that if, if, if they had said, hey, you're not getting this thing if you don't pay more. You know, this is back when I used it. There was no communication to it. I thought that I was just getting admittedly I didn't test it enough to, to look at the records. I mean, I looked at the records. I just hadn't looked at them that closely not realizing that I was like, why didn't I see that? I, I would have definitely noticed that during the show. <laughs> Wonder what other company values money over people, over function. Yeah. You have to pay extra for, you know, like Ram, uh, four times what it costs. Uh, yeah. That's, but that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a quality issue. You know, yeah. I, I'm willing to 